0: it is folks and welcome to doomer versus bloomer um i am your bloomer host franz joined today by your doomer host Kami, as well as three very special guests in the studio today we have sean from seriously wrong and hugh and nicole from ad Astra comics welcome to the podcast y'all
1: thanks thanks (laughs) thanks Thanks for having all of us thanks for being on
0: a big podcast today. Lots of people in the room. (laughs) It's
2: a milestone for us. It's
0: definitely a milestone for the Doomer Mm -hmm. v. Bloomer Bloomer podcast. But what we're going to be talking about today is tactics. What are they? How are they different from strategies and goals? Why Why are are they important?
3: What a tactic is depends on the arena that you're looking on. Mm -hmm. Like if you're talking about class struggle as a whole, then strike is a tactic. But if you're talking about how you're running a strike, then the strike is the strategy and the tactic is more like, are we doing a sit down? Is there a picket? Those are the tactics that make up the strike. So what a tactic is, is kind of context dependent because it's like the micro move in the context of the macro struggle.
0: Mm, I like that. Yeah, and I guess we're talking about tactics, particularly in the context of social movements more broadly. So, you know, we can define that. We can define that differently, whether or not, you know, that your st- Overall strategical orientation towards a social movement is you know seizing the means of production, smashing the state, you know winning through electoral victory and achieving peak social democracy for all of eternity <laughs> um, you know with, within these different broader social movements is that, is that do you think the accurate way to kind of classify the broadest arena on which the tactics we're talking about take place?
4: Yeah
5: like like I'm not, I'm not talking about tactics for getting a job. Right. I'm talking about tactics for social gains right. or environmental activism, or whatever. Right. Social what, movements. Social movements. Sure. I think social Absolutely. movements
0: is, is the interesting broad categorization here. So and we wanted to talk about the difference between I think you summed up the what a tactic is. It's Micro, a t- it's it's, macro it's, it's, it's in relation to goals. It's the macro or it's the, in relation to strategies, which are then distinct from goals. So then Hugh you mentioned earlier wanting to talk about the distinction with goals.
3: Well, so I think that it's hard to evaluate whether your tactics and your strategies are successful or if they're failing, if you don't know what your goals are. And for example, I think sometimes people organize a protest, a theme we're going to return to later, I think. And then Mm -hmm. after the protest, like 50 people came out And the goal of the protest, you know, nominally was probably to change some government policy. But after the protest, because people want to feel good about their organizing, they're like, well, we thought only 40 people were going to come, but 50 people came. So we succeeded. (laughs) Or like, uh, it's a symptom of a lot of electoral parties that they'll definitely run an election intending to win the election, but then they'll lose. And then they'll be like, but we really won. Like when Jeremy Corbyn came in second in the British election a couple of years ago, there were all of these takes from the left about how he actually won. Or the same thing was like going on the whole way through the last Canadian election with the NDP. So I think that the thing that's important about a goal is that you lay it out ahead of time to keep yourself intellectually honest and be Mm -hmm. like, are my tactics helping support my strategy? And is my strategy helping me reach my goal? Mm -hmm
0: goals can exist at multiple levels you can you know the overall goal of your strategy might be a radical transformation of all currently existing social relations and the goal of this tactic may be to convince a city councilor to vote for a particular legislation mm-hmm. or it might be you know to win some gain through direct action what you know whatever it is
1: I think there's something to be said about sort of intellectual dishonesty when it comes to celebrating successes that were like moved goalpost successes. Mm -hmm. Um, Because like uh, like I think that happens across the left because we have so few like stirring enormous victories that there's actually like a uh, strategic benefit to to. Um, Self deluding to a certain degree about, or being able to like look at a trajectory, because I think trajectories are more important than snapshots. So mm-hmm. if you're able to like look at the trajectory of, say, like something like the anti war movement, it's like maybe we didn't stop the war, but we got more people than we ever did before. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's inadequate for stopping wars, but mm-hmm. it, it is legitimately a victory in a sense. And I think we should be open to celebrating that sort of thing. And we need to like, um, part of that is like, yeah, making putting in proper context the value that our work has had is an important part of like continuing our work and I, I don't think that that um, we, we it, there's no need to be too cynical about that um, although I mean I think I, I agree that people shift the goalposts intentionally for the, the sake of their own sanity
5: well I think that speaks to the fact that sometimes there are like outside goals and inside goals uh, and depending on what you're thinking about maybe your tactics are different so I think a lot of leftists, um, one of their inside goals that they're not going to be talking about a lot person or uh, publicly uh, is recruiting people um, and increasing uh, their membership. That sounds really self-interested when you're uh, giving a press conference, but sometimes I actually feel like that's what they're talking about when they're saying that they've won. It's like, oh, we just added 5,000 people to our mailing list. We're the real winners here. <laughs>
1: And a self-interested organization is going to last a lot longer than an organization that is completely selfless. I mean, I hate, like, obviously, you're looking to achieve things outside of just like, we've got a bigger mailing list, more people are showing up, Uh, we've got more sway with uh, whatever sort of actual tactical front we have towards shifting real social change, but... Um, if your organization isn't interested in propagating itself, then it's it's, it's not going to last as long. Like The things that have really lasted are the things that have become very self-interested, at least mm-hmm. in a limited sense.
3: Well, and I think it's an interesting tension, because to return to the example of the anti-war movement, it's not necessarily about how big it was that determined its success, but uh, the kind of tactics it employed. And like I guess the movement against the Iraq war was bigger in absolute terms than the movement against the war in Vietnam, but the movement against the war in Vietnam was perhaps more successful There's an interesting conversation to be had there about the role of the Viet Cong in defeating the U.S. as opposed to, like, American college kids. But uh, (laughs) what I would say about self-interested organizations is there's kind of a line to walk because, yeah, if you aren't interested in recruiting, then eventually your organization is going to stagnate and die and that happens to lots of great little groups. But on the other hand, uh, if you can't, Simultaneously, make yourself feel better about what's gone wrong by being like, "Yeah, at least we got a lot of people out, but we failed." And then have an honest conversation about what that failure means and like what could be done differently. Then your tactics will never change, and you'll end up with a group full of just terrible cowards who only know how to make their cowardly organization grow bigger <laughs> and bigger, uh, and like more get better and better defending itself and its institutional prerogatives. Well, but let's it, like, you're an inst-
1: enormous cowardly organization. <laughs> <laughs>
5: I actually want to go back and argue that I don't think the anti-war movement failed because of bad tactics. I actually think it has a lot to do with the fact that people in power weren't going to listen no matter what. Like the tactics on the West Coast were totally different than the tactics in Canada where I was organizing. They were much more militant. Uh, there was blockades of just military arms during the Iraq war. I saw like a real diversity mm-hmm. of tactics, and it didn't necessarily change anything. Um, I think it was much more having to do with just the fact that the ruling class didn't need to listen. Yeah.
0: Here in Olympia, like during like 2006, people, um, it was called the port militarization resistance, and people physically blockaded the exits out of the port to stop. Like military vehicles and other military infrastructure from being brought back in uh, from overseas and brought to the base we have near here. And, mm-hmm. like, y- you know, I think did succeed in getting some of that, co- like that contract canceled, but, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, the war still mm-hmm. happened. And so, like, I think that goes back to the question of, goals and you know the goal of you know gaining more members of the goal of canceling this one contract which isn't ending the whole war is you need to you have intermediary goals and ultimately Mm. those intermediary goals should be in line with your long-term goals like if if gaining membership is an intermediary goal towards making more fundamental social change because you have more people power on your side to make that change that's awesome and if you have that you need really you need strategical meta thinking in order to even situate whether or not a tactic is useful in every, any given circumstance. Because if
4: mm-hmm.
0: you're gaining members for the sake of gaining members, that's clearly pretty useless. If you're gaining members for these larger purposes, that's you know, that's a good tactic.
1: Maybe we should start at like the ultimate goal and then work our way down to the, the little tactics. And I think the ultimate goal, we could probably all agree, is universal human liberation <laughs> and reconfederating humanity into a commune of communes where people are paid according to need. 10,000 yeah. years of world peace. Yes. <laughs> Look at you
5: enforcing your agenda on this other podcast.
0: Yeah, even Call me the Doomer is smiling down at
2: this. <laughs> <shit>. <laughs> that sounds better than doom just because I'm doomed out. <laughs> wow, better than
5: doom.
1: Strong like argument. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, yeah. universal human emancipation is like a good summary statement of like, it helps, I think it's a good like compass orienting point yeah, for absolutely. when, because, and then everything else can be sort of a subcategory of that. And there's like a lot of detail that comes into, yeah, the strategies and then the tactics and the fronts. There's lots of different front. Like you can't just, there's no singular totally. front of universal human liberation. <laughs> there's no vote where you need to get 50% plus one, where all humans are universally liberated. Um, it's, it's something that's like a process that's probably take hundreds of years, but Uh, I think we can pull it off.
3: Sean, that was an outrageous attack on the Socialist Party of Great Britain right there. <laughs> so for, any, for anyone who doesn't know, the SPGB holds that socialism can only come about in Britain once they win an election in absolute terms. So if they don't get 51% of the popular vote in a British election, then they can't bring about socialism and they would just like fold up and go home if that happens. Wow. Sounds, sounds
5: weirdly specific.
1: Yeah, I, I, okay. I, I like this tactic as as part of like the overall ecosystem because uh, if if we don't have anyone out there who's actually like, Trying to convince a majority of people of our views. Um, and I think there's a problem towards like subculturalism um, and like, w- yeah, like weird gatekeeping and stuff like that. Um, so th- I like the sort of I- absolutely impossible dream of the 50% plus one s- seizing the means of production, voting away <laughs> the wealth of the rich kind of thing. And I support it fully. Like, I hope they're well funded and they run good campaigns.
3: It's literally called impossibleism, is like the name of their ideology. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but it sounds nice right <laughs> wouldn't it be nice if it worked out that
2: way
0: and and to me like what you're describing is very similar to the non-pejorative utopian socialist vision of having you know you you have a utopian goal that you're building towards um that you recognize is fairly unachievable it's you know assuming you know maximal you know maximization of all the good things and minimization of all the bad things and you know you can make progress towards this goal and there's an amazing quote um that is you know utopia lays on the horizon you can never i'm paraphrasing you can never reach it um for you take two steps forward and you know utopia recedes two steps back so then what is the purpose of utopia is it's for walking it's it's to walk forward it's to continue it's to give it's to orient you in the direction to go and this is why i think it's important to be a bloomer is because like If you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna, if you're gonna speak of agendas, (laughs) (laughs) everyone's
2: (laughs) fucking got them.
0: If you, I mean, if if we want any form of analysis of what tactics are useful or not, we have to situate them relative to whether or not they're leading towards our end utopian visions. And without a utopian vision, if we were just, you know, stuck in the doom, we're we're too riled, we're too tangled up in the doom to recognize the the blooming potential. We'll never be able to do anything towards that direction. I
2: guess if we want, to, if we really want to make this a like a doomer uh, bloomer discourse, real quick. <laughs> yeah. Because I, <laughs> I, I mean, when I was growing up, I read uh, Book of Five Rings, and and he, Musashi basically says the same shit when he's talking about like you never, you're always striving for mastery, but you're never the master, and the point is to fucking. To, to uh should, to practice
1: uh, utopia is mastery it's like mastery of the social realm yeah it's just
2: like, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah it's the same idea that like you're never the enlightened master or whatever, but you're always... That's
5: why we're all studying the sword. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Fuck yeah. That's why what, that's what I thought we were talking about tactics, man. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, battle like in there. But. No, that's no, no, I, you're fine. I
1: think in defense of like, the Doomer point of view, we are faced with a pretty hopeless situation. We're like, under constant and totalizing surveillance in ways that we barely understand. Uh, we've got an unaccountable group of people that's friends with pedophiles. It's a really weird situation. <laughs> it's dark. <laughs> and I mean, I... I
2: the doom for me is is like i just unfortunately don't feel like we're going to get our shit together until like some some really bad happens and then hopefully from the ashes uh kind of claw our way back to some sort of form of civilized society or something but but again who am I to say? I'm just fucking <laughs> depressed. So, you know, like... No, but I a-
5: feel like you do actually represent, like, your sentiment right now speaks to, like, a really broad swath of yeah, activists Yeah, I'm not the I'm only person with. for sure, yeah. And I do find that that dichotomy is really interesting when you're like, I, like I've like, i organized anarchist gatherings and things like that, and there's, like, basically two fundamental camps. There's people there who are talking about building, and there mm-hmm. are people there who are talking about breaking things down. Mm-hmm. Right. Doomers and, like, and bloomers. Oh, right? <laughs> Oppositional we, we really and reconstructive. Hit,
0: yeah, I mean, uh-huh. we've we've really hit as, you know, the doomer bloomer, by dichotomy. I think this deeply entrenched distinction on the left that, that takes many forms. It's not just like I think reconstructive versus um, what did you say? Opposition. Um, Opposition. Opposi- there we go. Mm. Thank you. Like Opp- versus oppositional or hope versus lack of hope. Like these are different phenomenons that play out on the left, but they're very common. Like just sort of different approaches and different frameworks for which we understand social change and therefore inform what tactics we use
3: as much as it hurts me deep in my organs to defend the perspective of the tear shit down people. (laughs) Uh, I think that a lot of them genuinely believe that tearing shit down is the prerequisite for blossoming and that they like really directly in their discourse are like, uh, you know, a garden blooms in every thrown Molotov cocktail and yeah. this kind of thing. And they it, it, stupid anarchist. Uh, I know it's goofy. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I don't buy that point of view, but I don't think that they necessarily see themselves purely in terms of tearing things down. But it's kind of like that the building blocks of their future are the, the broken mortar of the past. Mm hmm. Oh, See, I agree
2: with you. But I just wouldn't put it in such a stupid... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> crime,
3: sorry. I'm sorry,
2: Ali. Crime crime thing fucking way to put <laughs> it like from the... How
0: would you put it?
2: Sometimes you gotta fuck shit up in order to get shit done. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I, what,
3: I don't know. I, I, probably an equally dumb way. I, I, how, I just, how would I put it in that? that absolutely bang and quote where he says about the Spanish civil war that they're not worried that the bourgeoisie may blast this world to ruins before they live, they leave. And he says, or before they exit the stage of history, <laughs> it's like a, a soul caliber thing. But anyway, yeah. uh, he, he, he says, <laughs> we've we always lived in ruins part. and holes in the wall. Uh, yeah. and you know, we built the palaces of Europe and the Americas and we can do it again. There's a new world growing in our hearts. Yeah. That's how I would put it. That's cool. how
2: yeah. I would. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah,
1: Definitely. Speaking of tactics, here's the specific one just on the destruction front. If people who were breaking the store windows uh, during like the black block sort of stuff suited up um, and wore like ties, (laughs) how do you think it would affect public opinion on it? And do you think it would be like, and just just like no biases, no, (laughs) (laughs) no signaling games, no signaling games. Do you guys think that would have helped?
3: Are they wearing masks still?
1: Clarifying question.
3: Yeah. Mm. But are they wearing like also posh masks or is it still just balaclavas?
1: (laughs) Balaclavas with the whole suit.
5: I think it would have launched a series of conspiracy theories about them being like state operatives yeah, they, I don't yeah. know people see like a suit and tie and they just immediately they're like oh that's a Mr. I, Smith like he works for the government
0: I, I feel like you're uh, definitely trying to get at like oh let's make the black block look more friendly or less scary or less <laughs> anarchist but I don't absolutely. think the suit is the symbol like that is gonna yeah. do that I would for
1: think us. to myself maybe this guy can offer me a job who's, who's the audience I guess I mean is the, in the audience of I mean obviously it's absurd like the audience of the 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 sort of like propaganda of the deed of smashing Starbucks windows isn't the tar it, the target audience isn't people who think suits have social capital. I
2: don't know. I think with the, sorry. I, I think the audience for uh, that is effective in reaching with those kinds of action or like other anarchists, which I I th- or like people that are already agree with that sort of tactic, which I don't think mm-hmm. is necessarily like a a bad thing. It is. I know it gets critiqued and rightfully so for being. Um, for lack of a better term, like kind of masturbatory or adventurist or whatever the term is um, and, and sort of self-aggrandizing. Uh, uh, is, is that the term? Yeah, self-aggrandizing, um, which is all fair, right? Smashing a Starbucks window isn't going to end Starbucks. It's performative. It's prefor- performative. Thank you. That was the yeah. fucking word I was looking We did looking a whole for.
0: episode on performativeness like right. last week. <laughs> right. Uh, but you
2: forgot. Did I? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I mean, I I feel, but I so I don't know if wearing suits... I think it would just make it more confusing, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Interesting idea. I love. I love. I love the idea of like different blocks. I'd like to see it. Like I'd I've read like a sports what, you know, block. What okay, you know What if you
1: had guys in suits there just explaining? <laughs> just like standing nearby and just like sort of explaining the explaining theory behind the looting? it. Okay, I like, like... that. I like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, explaining the smashing I'd... of the windows. There's a very serious looking person who's just like. We're doing this because. Capitalism is really violent, and <laughs> yeah, like, is is the true violence property yeah. damage, or yeah. is the real violence violence people who are being mm. deprived? They're like, oh, mm. oh, it's in a suit, <laughs>
2: right? Yeah. There, I could see it having some merit. But-
0: Counterproposal: th- I've seen this used in action costume block, especially if it's mm. near Halloween. You're Absolutely. wearing something goofy, something fun. Still, it has the capacity to hide your identity because um, I just I don't think suits like. Suits are appealing to like an innate like professionalism or hierarchy of 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 business and government like I don't think it's like an authority we should be appealing to or trying to reinforce through our tactics and it's like I think overall just pretty unpopular within this like sort of populist current that exists on the left right now that we should be seizing like suits are a symbol of like the 99% (laughs) <laughs> or the, Sorry, sorry, the opposite suits are the oh, symbol God. of the 1%. I was about to say <laughs> yeah. that is, you're sounding like some
2: ad no. <laughs> you're talking about clown
3: block and <laughs> stuff.
0: Oh, whatever. Costume block is fun. It's goofy. So, it's fun. So, so, I it.
3: As a dude with lots of photos of me floating around wearing a suit at Occupy, this is all pretty rough. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> oh, no. I, I, I wanted to bring up, there's a, a group in Italy in the 90s called Yabasta, who are featured prominently in that David Graeber book we were talking about earlier, Direct Action. Uh, and they all dressed up as clowns. Yeah. And they would confront the cops dressed as clowns and, like, kind of form a foamy barrier full of balloons and Mm. pillows. I mean, we've
0: seen Joker's Joker costumes in Chile and Hong Kong, like... (laughs)
3: That's, that's a weird one. Yeah. Yeah, In
0: in Prague in the early O's, there
5: was this thing called the pink block that was like predominantly drag queens that would go up and just kind of like lap dance against the riot cops. And it was actually a lot more effective than like going up against them with like clubs and Mm -hmm. shields. Yeah. I don't know I mean I I, I feel like we're talking about a, a sort of like a dovetailing of like protest with performance mm. right now and I think we could have a conversation about performance art as yeah. a tactic for sure.
3: As much as I hate the 90s I have to give it to them that they, in spite of it being kind of an overall nadir for organizing it's definitely like the peak of this kind of creative organizing where there's like giant puppets and radical cheerleaders and raging grannies and like Street. there's an era about the too. whole thing. And
0: what are the pros and cons of that like you know the, the pros is it's exciting. It yeah. potentially makes people, like, interested, intrigued, and it's, you know, less off-putting and scary and more, you know, welcoming and friendly and funny and something people want to be a part of. But, you know, then you can question, like, its effectiveness. Like, what is, you know, who is the target? Like, how are you measuring that result? And it's, right. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not like shitting on the tactic overall but i think it's like has had a tendency when it was most popular to just be like overused and used because it was like the hot fun thing to do not because there was any actual sort of strategic thinking behind it
3: you made a lot of enemies <laughs> by criticizing puppets but I, I, i'm not one of them
5: <laughs> i i think that this ties in with what we were talking about before where like sometimes a tactic is about what a person feels engaged by it's like a personal uh pleasure seeking tactic that also has this other protest or social movement purpose as Mm -hmm. well.
1: But it, it it engages with the already existing skill sets within the core demographic of like, uh, planning an event. Weirdo
5: creative protest types. Yeah. Like making enormous
1: weird, like Bush puppets and stuff. It's just like, Oh, it's like my already existing skill sets. I can plug in this way. I make enormous puppets all the time for my theater company. And like, um, yeah, but is the thing in the, the protest example connects to, I think, one of the big issues in leftist organizing, which is like the mis, the the treating of tactics as if they're strategies mm-hmm. where like something like a protest becomes a means in itself. And it's like this ritualistic thing that people do because they're supposed to. And it's mm-hmm. like we got more people in the streets. That's great. Or now we're in the streets about this. And we made the new signs um, and it becomes something very familiar and repetitive that isn't serving some sort of greater um, strategic end towards the goals that we're seeking?
3: Well, so it's kind of like a cargo cult, right? Like I really favor this metaphor for anyone who's not familiar during World War II, the British would use these Pacific Islands as landing strips and they uh, compensated the indigenous people for a given value of compensated by giving them, you know, manufactured modern goods. But after the war ended, the British left and the landing strips got grown over. But the people uh, who lived on the islands thought that they could bring them back. And so they meticulously recreated the rituals of the people bringing in the planes by, like, waving cones. And, like, they made all this, like, technical equipment out of local materials in an effort to, like, bring back the cargo. And it's been decades. And as far as I know, I haven't checked in on it lately, but they were still doing it as of, like, 2010, uh, expecting that the ritual would eventually bring the cargo back even though that's just like been f- 50, 60 years and the cargo never comes. And So
1: what's the connection to the
3: leftist organizing? Do you really need Yeah, I, I mean, sure, why don't I spell it out, right? Like, I, I, I think that there was a time when some of these tactics existed in a larger ecology like in particular the tactic of protest was a show of strength for these existing enormous social movements that had deep roots in churches and unions and other organizations and so the protest was just like a time to show their strength their ability to get like tens or hundreds of thousands of people out into the street and now we don't have any sense that we're even showing strength we just do it because it's what's always been done trying to get the cargo to come back
5: Yeah, if I put on this flat cap, people will come (laughs) to my protest.
4: And
0: and I think everyone's guilty of this, you know, from black bloc anarchists that smash smash windows every May first every year while the police wait for them, you know, to do and then arrest people, or you know, the progressive liberals that put on their pink pussy hats and march in every city, you know, once a year. Like, I think this. I, I don't know what it is. I think. I mean, there's a book that Sean actually. Um, recommended to me um, Inventing the Future um, where they have this whole concept of folk politics and I think like not just on the left or in any particular section of the left it we get so caught up in like how we think we're supposed to do politics because how like how we've been taught to or what we've read about from the past <sighs> and we just get co- so caught up in doing what we think we're supposed to be doing. The yeah. ritual. Um, the ritual of it like everything you've already said Hugh but I think just pointing out that like it, I don't think like it exists on these different factions on the left, and I'm sure it exists outside the left, too. But the left is just so particularly disempowered. I think we're particularly susceptible to it.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
3: Which I,
5: goes back to the importance of outlining goals and tracing your way back. I, mm-hmm.
3: I think that there's also kind of a break of leadership in the left around the 70s, where like a lot of the organizations that were most militant and some of the ones that were most effective were suppressed. And those people ended up in prison or killed themselves or were hounded to whatever, you know, aren't around anymore. Uh, and it's neat for us, Nicole and Hugh, living in Ottawa on the edge of the Quebec border, to like go into Quebec, where they have a living tradition of radicalism, and where they're overall like much more thoughtful and effective in the way they approach radical politics, regardless of their tendencies. Like I would even say that their Stalinists and Trotskyists are more competent than ours, as painful as that is to admit. <laughs>
5: we were tabling. We were tabling at the Montreal Anarchist Book Fair, and I was her- having a cigarette next to this sixty-five-year-old crust punk woman with dreads. And we were talking about the rent prices in Montreal, which are like on average, maybe like four or five hundred bucks for a one bedroom. And I was like, how do you guys keep them so low? And she just laughed at me. She's like, because we riot if they raise them. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, that's a tactic. Riots.
0: Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. And potentially a really effective tactic. But also a riot isn't like. Like, so many anarchists call, like, oh, 20 of us went into the streets and we smashed something and ran away. Like, that's not a riot.
3: Or three of us, or (laughs) whatever it is. It's interesting, the early modern history of riots is actually, in England, the... Conservatives like the Tories would rile up anti-Catholic mobs by handing out free beer and taverns, and then when this big crowd of working people was all good and drunk, they would like get them riled up about how Catholicism threatened the king, and like take them by the house of a Catholic aristocrat or like a Catholic priest. We got to bring this like, back. Damn. Well, is this so, a strategy
0: well, or a
5: tactic? Well, so that, that
3: that was a tactic in the larger campaign of anti-Catholicism. Hmm. Uh, well,
0: what do we think about the strategy of brocialism and one of the particular <laughs> tactics? Meaning, being getting the sports bros to riot when their team loses, but but strategically oh. orienting it towards you know p- particular manufacturers. yeah weapons manufacturers. <laughs> be like your team lost because of weapons manufacturers I don't know we could make the connection somehow (laughs)
3: that would be great
0: I'd have to put more thought into this
3: but but like even the modern history of protest is an outgrowth of that of like people started gathering of their own volition to smash things and then they started knowing that the army would be sent out and they would be killed if they smashed things so they would just come out in force to create the appearance that they might smash things if something wasn't done about it Hmm. and there's been a like devolution away from the actual violence to the threat of violence to like people don't even remember that the reason that they're gathering in public is to remind the people in power that ordinary people have power too.
1: Mm-hmm. It's like a photocopy of a photocopy mm-hmm. of a photocopy, and then everyone starts to like identify with the photocopy and think the photocopy is the strategic framework, mm-hmm. when it was actually just one front of something larger towards a specific end that's been lost. And th- th- mm-hmm. that reminds me of just like the, something that drives me mad, and I, like I don't do it either, but I also... So I'm, I'm, I'm at fault also. But power mapping is so important because if you're directing your ire towards the wrong place or the unstrategic place, um, like as, as part of a, your, your strategies off if you're not trying to direct your tactics towards the weak link in systems. And I think a lot of people spend their time banging their head against the wall Um, expecting the wall to change.
0: Can you define power mapping?
1: Sure, yeah, sorry. And I think the the actual quote I was trying to say is that banging the head against the wall, um, expecting the wall to break before your head. That's what Mm. I was trying to say. Um, And yeah, so power mapping would be like looking at all of the the, the, uh, choke points um, and power positions within a network that uh, contain the ability to make decisions um, about the, the 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 sort of things that you're trying to stop, like so for example, if there's um, uh, you know weapons uh, a weapons manufacturer in your in your town that's being that's got a contract with your mayor, uh, <laughs> you'd be looking at both the mayor and the company, and like maybe the shareholders of the company or the the organization like the, the the legal environment that allows this sort of thing to happen etc cetera, etc cetera. so you can sort of like map out all the different pieces in the system and then analyze where in the system is is the weak point or like for example, where uh, you, you might find, like, say, for the, the police are the weak point in a system in, in that they won't enforce certain laws or, or something like that. It depends on, on the context what the, the weak point is going to be. But I think power mapping is really the first step towards an effective strategy.
0: I mean, and, an, and a, just a concrete example of that is, like, a, a campaign that I'm familiar with happening here in Olympia um, – where there was a private security force hired to basically like, patrol downtown and harass houseless people. And they were hired by a business association. And so you know, during the early stages of planning the campaign, it was like, pretty quickly found out that the private security force was going to be a more susceptible target to um, outside pressure than the business association was. Mm. And so actually getting you know, protesting the security force, getting them to cancel the contract... And it turns out they were really the only like affordable option in the area that was providing that would have could have provided the exact services the business association wanted. So essentially, getting the you know business association to change their policy by targeting you know this other actor. Hmm. So you know even yeah. So just an example of how you know power mapping can reveal like you know these different players on the field that may or may not be like obvious um, if you haven't like done the research. Um, but I also wanted to ask is. Is power mapping a tactic, or is it something we do to figure out what tactics we use? Or is it a tactic for figuring out tactics? Well, Maybe this is, like, a too oh, meta. <laughs> well, like that.
3: I mean, to, to, to trap it back in the framework, I think it depends on the level that you're looking at it at. If you're, like, talking about an overall strategy for overthrowing capitalism, then I think that power mapping is a tactic. But I think that it's more usually an element of a strategic direction in a campaign Mm -hmm. because it's like you do it near the beginning and it informs a bunch of your later decisions i wanted to ask sean particularly but everyone in general what do you think a power map would do for a black block like if a black Block, successfully power mapped wh- who would they go after mm. what would they
1: smash <laughs> yeah i'm not sure that's a good question th- because one of the issues with the the smashing of the windows is the insurance policy thing and the, mm-hmm. the sort of like public sympathy is obviously a part also but just the fact that there's no actual financial damage to the institutions and these are like enormous multinational institutions that actually gain monetarily from you smashing their windows <laughs> so i think a power map would show that pretty quick and then you'd be like, whoa, we should probably smash something else. But what what we should smash, I don't know. But we mm. should smash something at some point. Don't get me wrong. We better. I After mean, the I, map <clears throat> is done. Yeah,
0: I think Black Block like, does typically, especially in the public consciousness, get associated sole, solely with these kind of like goalless, you know, anarchist riots where a Starbucks window gets smashed and that's it. Um, but like ultimately at the end of the day, like black bloc is a tactic that's used toward can be used towards many strategic ends. Like I think right now one of the biggest things black bloc is being used for is anti fascist work. And like, you know, that, you know, the goal then isn't, you know, to smash a window and cause damage to Starbucks. The goal is to, you know, prevent, you know, a grassroots fascist movement from gaining more power. By smashing um, it, right? But <laughs> I mean, I, I don't think just smashing it, like I, I think, you know, particularly in Portland we've seen like some, you know, fairly successful and some fairly unsuccessful, you know, attempts at countering, you know, violent reactionary movements when they show up in town. And that uses, a, I think, a range of tactics. And we've thrown around this word ecology of tactics a couple times and I want to get back to that. But it uses a range of tactics from, you know, the, the people not in block with, you know, open, approachable faces holding signs willing to, like, talk to strangers and seem approachable down to, like, the black block anarchists who are, like, like, you know, putting their bodies in the line but like between like the fascists and the people that they might otherwise hurt. Um and then there's also medics who may or may not like block up for various reasons because they like are easily going to be targeted by police for arrest. They're going to be targeted by fascists because like medics get targeted in these situations. So I think there are strategic uses of of black block as a tactic and we can definitely like critique some of these actions for being goalless. Um, but like black block can definitely be part of like power, ma- like part of power mapping and, you know, anti-fascist defense would be like, okay, well we know like, you know, Patriot prayer is going to be here. And also the three percenters, which is a different reactionary group said they might show up. And also we know that the police response might be this. And these are, you know, some of the different players at force who decide how like this day is going to go overall,
4: mm-hmm.
0: um, and figure out how to strategically respond to each of those groups.
1: Hmm. in in defense of the two because i i don't want to I, I don't mean to be like moralizing or say like this this is a bad thing by giving these examples but i think it just in defense of it um one thing that it does is a tactic if, it, if it's a tactic that works towards the goal of getting people to speak about whatever issue is is there at the at the time i mean people you're going to possibly get on like the front page of the newspaper because it's, you know if it bleeds it leads and stuff mm. um whether people are talking more about the property damage aspect or the actual substance of the campaign, I'm not sure, but, um, it's not, it's not without merit. I'm, mm. uh, I, and, and yeah, I just, I feel guilty for being so, I just, it's such a, I brought up smashing windows cause it's just so spicy and like, so, <laughs> like it's real, like, yeah, real tactical, uh,
3: certainly after the G20 in Toronto windows got smashed and there was no story in the news about anything that happened except for the smashing windows and there was like lots to criticize the G20 summit although to circle around and make a drive by criticism of protests there wasn't a unitary message in the G20 protest there was like all these people out with all these different signs with all these different causes and like fringe cults and stuff and so i think that it wasn't that hard for the media to fixate on the black block stuff because mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot for them to grasp otherwise but like Definitely, it's bothered me ever since that I felt like that dominated the conversation that, like, these windows got smashed. And I met people, speaking of people who won't engage honestly about their own struggles and their successes, I met people who are like, the people won that day, (laughs) about the window's (laughs) getting smashed. And it's like, that's a hot take, buddy. (laughs) We won. (laughs) Won what?
0: I mean, we... So... I think the reason protests, I mean, so we've been talking, we've been critiquing protests a lot and it's easy for, I think, people that are new to the left or not part of the left Mm -hmm. and just observing it from the outside to think like that is the extent of like what leftist tactics are. So like if someone was listening right now and saying like, what? Protests aren't effective? Like what else is there to do? Mm -hmm. Like what else is there to do? Like you can power map, you can map out who the forces are and like, and then what? Like what are different? tactics that exist
3: Mm -hmm. well uh occupy sabotage strike but i think that those are like long-term those are also like strategic goals because Mm -hmm. they require so much social organization to carry them off effectively and then in a more immediate sense i forget whose formulation this is but educate agitate organize Mm -hmm. is that the iww
0: i think so yeah they have an extended version now that's a e i o u it's (laughs) agitate educate (laughs) inoculate
2: Jesus
0: Christ Organize <laughs> Unionize Oh nice So yeah.
3: <laughs> For anyone wondering About inoculate What they mean is like You get people ready To hear anti-union propaganda And mm-hmm. like understand Why that propaganda Is bullshit
1: Yeah What's the why That they sometimes do
3: Yodeling <laughs> <laughs>
5: yelling and sometimes, <laughs> Yow- yowling. Yell.
2: sometimes yell i like that
5: um no i think this is a really good point and um i definitely have been thinking a lot about this in terms of how people can organize in a way that because i I participated in protests for many years and um uh my, i myself and also many people that i worked with have dealt with arrests or police brutality or have um come into sort of traumatic conflict with the state in different ways. Uh, you get wrapped up in court cases. And anyways, what I'm trying to say is just that that's not necessarily where everyone is at all the time. And so it is useful to be able to think about what other work we can be doing. Um, and I definitely think it's worth exploring. I I feel like this is the the time when it's worth Having a group that comes together to discuss the goals while also exploring their strengths and interests, um, I think a part of that is being able to sustain your organization and not experience um, massive burnout where people it's just like this revolving door of like people coming in and burning out, coming in and burning out. So um, if everybody is coming together and they're all interested in guerrilla gardening or urban harvesting then it's like well maybe we should focus on that or maybe if like over 60 percent of your organization is creative and does art like there should be some art regular art aspect to the organizing um, like i'm speaking as a a comic artist and like my, literally my tactic is i make comics for social justice comics for a larger strategy of helping radical scholars disseminate their research you know like that's like my job um, so I think it really does come down to uh, like the specific context,
0: and sometimes. like drawing from the skills that exist. But that, but that's not always the best way to choose the best tactics. Like I think you know we were critiquing the sort of performance protest, and you know the way that that came about was probably because there's a lot of people with those skills that wanted to put those skills towards a use they thought was worthwhile. Um, and so, to an extent, like taking advantage of like the skills that already exist within your organizations is like awesome. Like those shouldn't be put to waste, but they can't be. They can't be the only consideration for the tactics
3: that we use. Well, because what if all anyone knows how to do is make puppets? Yeah, right. <laughs>
5: I see no problem.
4: <laughs>
3: that creeps me out to think about. <laughs> to think about puppets. The 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 protest like everybody-
2: puppets just like yeah you're just that's the only tactic that people can think, like, <laughs> just, like, use them. nothing else makes sense nothing else makes like well, we, just, oh, we yeah.
1: haven't tried all doing that <laughs> oh, uh, and no, no have you ever looked at a german protest <laughs> oh my god i hate,
2: i regret putting that out <laughs>
5: <laughs> i was trying to think of some of the worst tactics that i've seen in my uh, activist career and one of them here oh, is oh shit that's a good question one of them here is barfing and in brackets <laughs> performance art uh, I've so, heard it So during the Iraq War, um, we were staging weekly protests in Lawrence, Kansas against the war. And then these right wingers who were pro-war started showing up on the other side of the street and then one day we didn't show up and they came over to like our better side of the street with a really big banner that they had finished making and we got really really angry and we all went home and we cooked up three pots of rice and we dyed one of them red and one of them blue and one of them was white and then we drank snake poison and went down there and vomited red white and blue all over them (laughs) and I don't know if it really achieved anything and we all felt physically awful but it was
2: Weird flex. So many questions. Where? First of all, snake poison. Where? where's
5: Oh yeah. Maybe you can't
2: I, say on my. Maybe we, yeah,
5: <laughs> a friend of a friend. Okay, sure, us sure, yeah, sure. Yeah.
2: But wow, amazing. I mean, I admire. It? The, no,
5: it's called Ipecac. It's okay. if you get bit by a snake. Sorry. Oh. Uh, and okay. then you have to throw up until I don't know. I don't know. It's it's been many years.
1: Again, okay, I
2: I mean I admire the tenacity that takes to just be. We're gonna.
1: Fucking <laughs> that that story is. I used to be all about uh, results based activism, but now. I'm <laughs> <laughs> yeah. okay. um, i've come I'm, around yeah could
3: could we each do a tactic we hate yeah i, was yeah, yeah, I, I thought that. of one like, yeah i don't we're mean to hog we, we that we can go um, around the, okay let's go around the table
0: before we do can i make a, a meta comment i just i something that that made me think of is, is when we're evaluating tactics we we can't like like sean said we have to look at effects but we also should look at like impact and potential like impact on us and potential risk like vomiting is just like an (laughs) overall negative like negative thing that's not very pleasant like it's you know i think it was a net negative yeah (laughs) Yeah, i don't think it but then there's also you know there's tactics which have bigger risk of arrest or injury or you know etc and like those need to be serious considerations when considering tactics as well as like is the risk and like risky actions can be great like i think risky apps. Risky actions are absolutely necessary to necessary to make the fundamental change we're trying to make, but they have to be balanced. But it
5: they have to mean be that all risky actions yes. are good. She yeah,
1: three, so. yeah. what's a little enamel for world revolution?
3: <laughs> <laughs> so I I'm gonna cheat and be meta because I used to hate a lot of tactics and I still kind of do. So in that way it's hard Cheers. to narrow them down. Mm-hmm. But I think that where I am at where I'm at now is more like it really matters how you do them. And so traditionally, I would have been like, I hate protests in part because they're so ubiquitous. But like we were saying earlier, if they're a show of strength, they're great. And I hate petitions. But I learned from Mm -hmm. a hacky social democratic organizer, not Sean, uh, (laughs) who is not a hack, uh, that (laughs) the the real secret of petitions is everyone who signs a petition puts down their email and suddenly you have 5,000 new emails. I'm like, that's a little disingenuous. But it's also like, if you do it, you're doing it right. And so is that really the worst tactic? I overall think that the tactics that I hate the most is just like any kind of ill-considered arts jam thought up by a bunch mm. of hippies mm. that like <laughs> doesn't have any kind of political content to it and it's just like somehow these people all ended up in charge and so now we're like capering half-naked to the sound of a djembe in front of parliament. Ugh. But
5: we're the beating heart of the movement, man.
3: Oh, I want to come back to that later. <laughs> I just threw up a little bit. I <laughs> up and all that. Um, I'm not a
5: huge fan of drum
2: circles. I just think it's funny. I, to yeah. I've, I've spent some time in those. <laughs> drum circles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we talked about it before. But uh, mine, and I guess I guess it's the same what you were saying. It's like maybe there's a time and place for it, but the most annoying one is just like when people just start like screaming over someone. You ever seen that where they just mm.
4: go, <gasps> Like, like, if there's, like, a speaker you're trying to yeah, shut down. Yeah, but, or Like, uh, it's
2: usually... The times that I've seen it often is, like, when there's, like, some fucking idiot street preacher talking about, like, oh, on some homophobic yeah. shit, and then, like, people... Okay. Or, or yeah. Or, I often... I've seen it happen on college campuses a lot, where some, you know,
4: mm.
2: person, and then they just go up to... Just trying to drown out the... But it's just, like, right. oh, my... Like, you're... <laughs> I don't know what's worse at this point. I mean, right. probably the <laughs> the the street preacher is doing the homophobic stuff, but also, like you're trying to you're trying to compete with them right now rather than like shut them down i just I, i've seen it that It's just it's just annoying. I don't know if it's like a bad It day. also like, like <laughs>
0: frequently gets weaponized against the left by like being uploaded to, it's to YouTube. It's pretty Like it's, I mean, it's pretty that's, fucking cringy. that's what ends up like in cringe compilations and makes mm. the left look unreasonable and weird because it's taken out of yeah. context and edited just, to make like the person look the worst they can. And people specifically, especially on college campuses, purposefully set up honey pots where they go mm. to like be an asshole just to provoke leftists to like, argue with them so they can get footage of them like making a fool of themselves mm.
3: yeah. at, at a university in ottawa uh, these right-wingers <clears throat> put up a free speech wall and so predictably this guy we know came and tore down the free speech wall and he like felt so triumphant about it and it was just <laughs> like buddy how could you walk right into that
0: yeah i when i was on a college campus recently i had a guy just it was like, there's not a whole lot of people out and about. It was like a gray cold day. And he had this giant inflatable ball, you know, like the size of a human. And he, it's called the free speech ball. And he's, everyone's encouraged to write whatever they want on. And he kept like trying to get me to like engage with his free speech ball. And I was like, I don't give a shit about your free speech ball. Like he was try, he was like, See, he, that's was a good so, tactic. he was so big, hoping so hard that someone was going to like cause a confrontation yeah. with him. Like that's what he wanted. And, that's and I tactics. was just like. Nah. <laughs> yeah. mm.
3: I, I don't want to cheat and take another one, but I quickly thought of a tactic that's actually my worst tactic, and that is leaving severed pigs' heads outside of Fucking the meetings Red of rival organizations. <laughs> I think we just complained about them on, the, on our last episode, yeah. too. We're dragging them, dude. They're,
2: <laughs> fuck
4: They're on notice. I Fucking think cost.
1: power mapping would really help them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The DSA does yeah. have the power Maybe.
0: to change the things you want to change. Where,
3: where should the pig's head go,
1: Sean? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you've got a pig's head to get rid of, I can think of like some, I can There's just legit think of like five or six yeah. better places off the top of my head, no map yeah, the, required. The
2: tactic of leaving, like the, just the tactic itself of leaving a pig's head on, some, is not necessarily bad. Idea. I,
0: I think like the optics are like pretty negative and you have to like, I can't come it's up with pretty a pretty really, really pretty good use of a pig's head for that to outweigh like the t- Optical, the optics disadvantage that you're taking with that one. I'd
1: have critical for support for them if they put the pig's head outside of yacht clubs. Yeah, that'd be pretty. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the bourgeoisie or something. You It'd know? be
0: better for sure. Yeah, that like, would be. Something.
1: Would it? Would it? Would it redistribute to those in need? No, no but, but you <laughs> wouldn't. You
2: wouldn't be. You wouldn't be cringing that they're like doing that to DSA fucking members and shit wasn't it right yeah 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 Yeah.
0: Yeah, and people running for political.
2: it definitely
5: just made me feel like one of them worked in a butcher shop somewhere and they just they got a deal they were just like you know what i got these pigs heads let's move these pigs heads you know um but as somebody who used to work in a restaurant that served roasted pigs heads i also just can't help but feel like it's wasteful
2: as well. yeah. You can eat those. You can. What the f- yeah. yeah. What the f- you literally can. Everything. I was just watching something last night. And it was that Marco Pierre guy. And he was like, you can eat every part of the the, <laughs> the, the pig. Anyway.
5: <laughs> That's actually another killer tactic is uh, in the middle of a political protest of some sort. You just like start yelling at the organizers for something that has nothing to do with what they're talking about. You know, like uh, I was a part of a squat in um, Ottawa when I was a teenager and like during the police raid somebody had it videotaped (laughs) during the police so there was a balcony and they were going in through the balcony the cops were like breaking down the door and and they had like started to build a garden on the Mm. balcony and like while they're raiding and like brutalizing people in this raid you can hear an old woman on the sidewalk yelling watch out for the plants watch out for the plants it's a living organism (laughs) It's just Did like wow, you really have a good sense of timing.
2: That's awesome.
1: Um, in, in terms of my least favorite tactic, um, i was trying to think of one that like is universally always bad. I think like the thing that gets my back up the most in the most context is just like needless antagonism that has nothing to do with the mm. the thing at hand. Like where where people are impugning each other's moral character um, over like and just basically creating like really personal. Um, confrontations over things that don't matter like, it's, it's, it's uh, supremely frustrating um, but yeah like overall I think the most annoying tactic is the tactic that is deployed at the time when uh, a, a tactic that's deployed against the wishes of a larger group um, mm. as part of like a, a group action. I think that's like... Speaking the, of the Red Guards again, right?
2: Yeah. Remember when, sorry, but like when they showed up to this like peaceful protest with a bunch of guns and like masked up. Just, just through
0: some <laughs> suburban neighborhood because that's what they thought was yeah. like the most useful <laughs> at that time. Yeah. <laughs> like sabotaging? Like what Like the, you...
5: Or I'm just like thinking what are some examples of like what you're... Is, uh, that, is that a good example
4: or...
1: Yeah, it's... it's, it's I, what I'm thinking of is just like a tactic that's applied at a time... Uh, a, t- a tactic that's applied at the expense of someone else's strategy is the worst tactic. Um, mm. If there's someone else has a strategy, and there's a lot okay, of instances that, where I'd say that applies. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. that was. <laughs> yeah.
5: um, I think you could say that about um, the ways that some direct actions take place for the sake of security culture. Like sometimes um, things happen; uh, they're undertaken by a minority of people in mm. a demo. Um, it's not considered kosher to be able to talk to everybody ahead of time. But there's a group that really wants to, like, run ahead and do something. Um, mm. I don't know.
0: I think this is a really good segue into a conversation about, like, diversity of tactics, ecology of tactics. But I want to get my least favorite in there real quick. Is that cool with everyone? Oh, of course.
4: Cool. Can
2: I do one more after that, too? Yeah, I just sure. <laughs> I do Look you. at the
0: this of our system. Um, mine was going to be, I was trying to figure out exactly how to phrase this. But, like, occupation for the sake of occupation or the phenomenon of temporary autonomous zones <laughs> where the whole idea is like let's just like all get together in one place and this is the revolution like right these social relations that we have here right now like not with any conception of building towards it or making it more sustainable or radically changing society like utopian socialism in the pejorative of we're gonna create something good for us right here right now and fuck everyone else on the outside or like because i think you know occupations can be Good tactics, you know when there's this particular goal in mind and they have a way to achieve that goal, you know like occupations that are serving as, as also as blockades as an example um or as just like a permanent eyesore or like that could be the the tactic um there, but when the whole idea is like just being here is the tactic that's i mean especially when like asron was saying like an actually useful um occupation of some sort is co-opted by the rhetoric of, you know, fuck fuck all your goals, fuck the larger strategy. We're just doing this here right now for the sake of doing it. Mm. Mm-hmm.
3: Nice. Good pick. Thank
2: you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I had a while to think about it since I went last.
2: Okay, <laughs> I have one last one. And it's, 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 again, this is one of the ones where it's like, there's a place, but I'm, I'm specifically talking like when you're in like a, I guess like a protest or something, debating, Debating, like, a, a, <laughs> I've seen, yeah, because you, you, you get, like, the, the free speech dudes or whatever mm-hmm. that with their GoPros or, and uh, try and, like, fucking, um, like, have a conversation. I just want to talk. You know, like, why can't we have a, I think Steven Crowder is, like, a good uh, example of, like, someone that, like, tries to do that and, like, go debates, like. Um, the
0: change my mind guy. Yeah,
2: the change my mind guy. Cool. Uh, and it just, it never, I've never seen it. Be good. It just—it always ends up being frustrating because I mean they're not really interested in like having like a
0: wait. So like the bad tactic is engaging with those people, engaging what, with those okay, people, yeah.
2: Because yeah. yeah. again, I mean it's good to like be able to debate and your mm-hmm. beliefs and stuff, but not not those dudes, right. and especially not yeah. Like if someone's coming to, like onto your campus or into your fucking your protest or whatever to be like let's have a conversation, stick a fucking microphone or whatever it is in your face. It's probably even if you do have something good to say or whatever probably not going to come out <laughs> in a good way
1: on, on that front i guess something my question is how why does steven crowder do it why if if debate doesn't work why is the other why are they trying to initiate debates well he like, gets
0: to frame the narrative when he's the thing. one holding the camera he's the one holding the microphone and his people get to edit the video he gets to show whatever makes him look good and not show whatever makes him look yeah, bad
2: and I'm, i wonder i wonder in, in like the footage that he has if he's ever actually been accosted by, like, someone that, like, knew what they were talking about and actually, like, made some good points, but he just didn't put it in his videos because he's he's there to loan the... He's he's there to
3: own the liberal, you know, snowflakes and shit. I mean, I'm sure that's it. In Canada, we have this TV show called Talking to Americans. (laughs) Which, as it suggests, is just, like, a Canadian fake reporter uh, who goes to the United States and asks stupid questions of Americans, like, did you know that Canada still puts the elderly out on ice floes to die? (laughs) (laughs) Or stuff like that, and all these Americans. Is that actually like, true. <laughs> say, I'm making a face, but yeah. But seriously, so a, a surprising number of Americans will be like, "Oh," and they'll sign a petition, uh, and it's like I'm sure like more than half of Americans are like, "Come on, buddy. I don't think Canada preserved its national igloo." Or complete- Mike
5: Huckabee made a statement in support of the national igloo. It's true, yeah.
3: <laughs> and George W. Bush called our Prime Minister Jean Poutine nice (laughs) at one point but like i think that those things are framed i mean it would be interesting to turn it around sean like if you want to go down to like a big pro-life rally and play gotcha with some teenagers i think that you could see if it worked in reverse but i think that the power is in being the confrontational presence and then cherry picking your results Mm -hmm.
5: but i but i do kind of feel like that Year, that show plays to the demographic and the demographic of Canadians is overwhelmingly smug about being <laughs> slightly more intelligent than Americans. And I kind of feel like when we're talking about like why are the right wing people, why are they better like trolls than um, the left wing? I do kind of feel like that's playing to their demographic and their demographic, like I, I don't know if I'm going out on a limb for saying this, but like I think their demographic is fucking belligerent and like they yeah. enjoy, <laughs> they enjoy seeing that And, like, there's less belligerence amongst, like, calm, polite liberals, so it doesn't go as far.
3: Well, weirdly, I think something about the right is that they really have this recurring narrative that we're the belligerent ones. And they always use this language of, like, we're ramming it down their throats in every context. Like, we've put social justice in video games and Marvel movies, and so we're ramming that down their throats and this kind of thing. And so I think that they're convinced that they're acting in self-defense and that these right-wing gotcha guys are just, like, standing up for the little guy who's tired of being persecuted.
5: But it's so fucking delusional. It's like, oh yeah, your gay niece is really ramming it down your throat yeah. when she shows up with her partner at Thanksgiving once a year, you know? It's just like...
2: That's what's so frustrating about talking with these people. Like, often you hear them, like, accuse you of doing the shit that you you feel that they are doing, <laughs> they themselves are doing, and it's like, man... It, it, yeah, it makes you feel like you're in the fucking Twilight Zone sometimes. It's like, am I the crazy one? Who's crazy here? Crazy fucking boomers, man. That brings up the Tell issue
1: me. of uh, tactics that are unethical but totally work, like uh, like uh, accusing, like uh, approaching conversations in really bad faith. Uh, and like, like really just like it, it's totally unethical, but like if you want to get a sizzle reel of, of you owning the pro-lifers, then you just show up and you ask them some like dumbass questions that are going to make them flip out and yeah, you it, it's 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 yeah, totally, totally unethical. But if you're yeah, if I'm you're a
2: YouTube channel, <laughs>
4: if, if the Try outcome
1: more. that you're looking for is sort of like a narrative victory of being able to have this sizzle reel of how the broad other 50 percent of politics is idiotic, it's simple enough to do. It's just like whether whether or not that's uh, base building enough, does that serve right. the building mm-hmm. of power? Um, and I think on the right, they they need to maintain power. They don't need to build power. So that right. sort of bullying, that sort of like punching down, is actually sort of really effective for maintaining power. Hmm. I'm not sure if it would work for building power. But
0: and I, I mean, like one of, one of the core you know tenets of anarchism and what distinguishes it from other uh, ideologies and sects on the left is this dedication to the idea that the means have to be in line with the ends, and that you cannot build you know, an ethical society, like, you you can't use strategies that are inconsistent with an ethical society and expect to build an ethical society. Um, And I, you know, I think there's still like an interesting range to talk about, because you can't, you know, live your life and do every single thing you do 100% ethically. And people are going to engage in behaviors and even tactics that may, like, may be more or less ethical. But this commitment to, you know, giving consideration to and prioritizing using tactics and strategies that are in line with our end goals.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: And so like, <clears throat> I, I think that's like an interesting thing to talk about when we're talking about ethics and tactics is, you know, from an anti-authoritarian anarchist perspective, that's like always been very historically important. Mm-hmm. And like, particularly in response to, you know, these, you know, other strains of leftism that, you know, didn't have that belief and have, you know, historically created, you know, the state socialist regimes that we see in, you know, the Soviet Union and Maoist China and so on. And a need to, like, recognize past failures and, like, try different strategies. Like, you know, maybe, you know, creating a a cringe compilation of (laughs) pro-lifers isn't exactly going to establish an authoritarian state. But, you know, that's just... Or,
2: or you can... (laughs) Decide that Stalin actually didn't do anything bad, and you can spend all your time on Facebook convincing people that oh, that that no, Stalin was actually all, if you if you believe his bad you're just believing uh, I, CIA propaganda. And
3: you know what? Those fuckers actually do play gotcha. That's like absolutely what they're doing. Like they are starting conversations in bad faith, and they are doing it so that they can like goad you into saying something dumb, and then they can then go after you. Yep. Uh, and drag you for being problematic. like, And it almost doesn't matter what it is. I once posted a link to a Vice article about Cuba, and they were just like 300 comments, but like, lol, Vice, Vice. lol, lol, lol. Posting cringe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, I could have found the same article in like 10 other places with the same facts.
0: But yeah. But... like to the point of how harmful like this tactic could potentially be is like is being a belligerent asshole gonna win over the types of people you like want to be in your movement or cultivate the types of behaviors and attitudes that you want that you need in order to build a successful movement
3: well definitely not but the scary thing is that like i think that those those groups and they do form into groups are kind of like organized around the biggest most successful bully and like it's just like a conglomeration of all the people you wouldn't want to organize but like you don't want all those people to be teamed up either that's very alarming
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and fair. Like I, I do. I know people like sort of in in those like broad communities that don't fit under that umbrella. That they just legitimately they read these historical, uh, you know, they read these historical theory and stuff, and they're into it and they like it, and they're they're totally like against uh, the idea that their sort of community would be organized around bullies and stuff like that. But I think there's also sort of a tendency to look away from people from any ideology when people they identify with are stepping out of line. Um, and it's, like, harder to have that degree of fidelity to notice that exact moment if you're in the same sort of, like, intellectual background as them. And also, really honestly, like, who gives a shit whether or not Stalin, what, like, who, the character of Stalin's heart? Like, for real. Like, yeah. um, uh, and, like, the same with, like, Winston Churchill and stuff. It's, like, all these historical people around the world sucked ass. Like, yeah. like the, 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 the the history of the world has been a history of fucking powerful dipshits. It's, it's like... Um,
2: Yes. fuck you Gandhi <laughs> <laughs> he, sl-
1: he slept naked in bed yes. with girls to prove yeah, that dude, he-, he
2: wasn't a
3: pedophile even though it's like a total pe- yeah or something yeah it was- yeah
1: to prove that he had like the it's a weird thing he was also racist he was also yeah. super racist yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: I think he maybe grew out of the racism. I don't want to, like, go down a rabbit hole of Gandhi apologism, <laughs> but I think he went to... and he, Gandhi he, did
1: nothing wrong. <laughs> and
3: Gandhi did lots wrong, but he went to South Africa already somewhat racist, having gone to Oxford, and then he was outraged that he, as an Indian, was treated the same as black Africans, and that's kind of, like, the basis of people being, like, he's a racist, which is absolutely racist. But I think that in the long run, those experiences helped him be, like oh imperialism
1: is bad and racist no
0: I, I think he was actually cancelled and yeah, it's absolutely so, irredeemable we, we, and has
1: we, no canceled. we don't have to talk about
4: it <laughs> yeah <anymore. laughs>
1: no uh, sorry I want to say my actual real least favorite tactic is the empty signal the signal that contains no information something like you're saying oh. before lol hmm. vice or like uh or like posting <laughs> cringe or anything like that where it's just a si- it's just the signal with no clarifying information the empty
2: signal I like yeah. that whether, mm. like,
1: whether or not I, I care or agree or whatever it's so frustrating to see and just like definitely. people treating each other with that level of cruelty for no fucking stupid reason and yeah c- creating this sort of like army and culture of snarky bullies that are uh, 90% insult comedian 10% leftist that's not what we fucking need
3: <laughs> well and I mean we should be honest that we do have that problem ourselves like as much as they look to pin it on the tanks and leave it at that it's definitely a real thing in the anarchist left as well
4: hmm
5: Well, on the flip side of it, I mean, we were talking about goals, right? Um, And the goal of total human liberation. I feel like we, like, haven't talked about the three or at least five other steps that we need to take before we reach total human liberation. Um, do, you,
0: what, do you know what those five steps are? Can you five part? easy steps, and I'll tell you right after
5: the commercial break.
2: You start um, a YouTube channel. You start going to pro-life protests. I,
5: I, I was going to say I think that like a fundamental one would be um, bu- building and fostering human relationships. I think that that's like, a really important pillar um, for me. Uh, now moving into what I would consider kind of like more long-term organizing. You know, like I'm in my mid-30s and I've seen a lot of people come and go and I've seen a lot of people get burnt out and... Yeah, it's like an it's a preoccupation of mine. Wherever I go, where I meet cool leftists doing amazing things, I'm like, wow. If I come back here in three years, are these people still going to be here? Like, I have no
0: idea. We've literally been having this conversation the whole time you've been (laughs) Olympia. It's like, friends, don't burn out.
4: (laughs) Yeah. Um,
5: So, like, I don't know if people want to talk about. Like, I I don't necessarily want to steer all of the discussion in this direction, but like, I I would like to kind of talk about like some good tactics that I've seen that have been about fostering. And encouraging um, human relationships and like organizer relationships together. And one of the ones that I really like to bring up is uh, um, way back when, this was in the O's, uh, Iraq Veterans Against the War uh, in Texas, in Fort Hood, they had a cafe called Under the Hood. And it was organized by anti war veterans and it was like right off base. And they would keep like GI rights pamphlets uh, there. They would like do trainings and workshops. But then, like on the weekends, You had like all these boys on the base who had nothing to do on the weekend. So they would like drive a couple of pickup trucks onto base and they would just be like, hey, we're having a barbecue. Y'all want to come and like play Call of Duty and like (laughs) eat barbecue with us. And that's totally what they did. And it was just like they would like fill up the trucks with these guys and just like chill with them and like eat food and play video games and just be like, yeah, so how how are things, (laughs) you know, and like talk to them about like, are you do you have like You know, talk to them about their grievances, talk to them about their lives, talk to them about, like, the fucking abuse and alienation that they were experiencing. And it's just like, is there anything beyond that? Like, maybe, depending on who you're talking to. But, like, the first thing is, like, establishing a relationship. And
0: and I think that it's interesting because a lot of what you're describing is agitation, which in the AEIOU framework is, like, the first step. But even before agitation is relationship building. Like you have to have right. some kind of relationship with someone Will before you can properly... Yeah, yeah, you can't agitate. you have to say
5: mm-hmm. in an agitational
3: way. I, I, I hard disagree. I think that the best way to engage with soldiers is to scream baby killer and throw fake blood yeah, on them. <laughs> yeah. oh that, that was God. proven to be a very effective tactic, right? I, I
5: actually, I did have a friend who was a drone operator who um, did uh, get screamed at by Code Pink. They, she, they called her a baby killer and she was like, that's great, I'm like totally suicidal and I have been for months thanks for making that worse and it was funny because then we had a conversation we are like whoa that's like the exact same tactic as like um, like anti-abortion yeah. Yeah, that's activists
1: it's the sort of impugning of moral character stuff that I mentioned earlier of, like, it, can, it can be and like I get that people want to be cathartic and like express their frustration with the system that's not working for them where they see people that they care about suffer or die because the system is not set up to support like human beings and human life it's, it's set up to support like profit and monopolization and stuff so like i get that frustration but when some of the the the, the impugning of, of moral character and i'm not saying like everyone uh, like uh, politicians or whatever like everyone is all great at heart and stuff it's it's that 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 is a tactic it's so polarizing in a way that it makes it impossible to listen to you mm-hmm. if like mm-hmm. if if and not every interactions about convincing the person who's being accused of being a baby killer or whatever. Maybe there's a big audience there that's like, oh man, war is sort of killing babies. And mm-hmm. then they all become like a lot better on war. Maybe that would work in a certain context. But like that, that sort not of Not stuff...
5: outside the gates of a military base. <laughs> <Yeah>. Nobody there.
3: <laughs>
1: well, and I, I think
3: that that's like a culture war tactic, right? And we've really been the losers of the culture war on the left because the working class is an overwhelming majority. It's like most people and appeals to the working class as long as people can be persuaded to see themselves as belonging to it are appeals to most people but the culture war really polarizes things and it like pulls half of the working class to one side and half to the other and each of them are kind of sectioned off with their respective bourgeois counterparts
4: Mm -hmm.
0: and I, I think like what's so harmful about this like moralizing tactic is that it's like it's using shame to try to change people's minds which is like and overall like if we're talking about building healthy and sustainable movements like someone who's on the left because of like a deep sense of guilt and shame like (laughs) that's not gonna work like that's how you traumatize i've never met anyone like that (laughs) <laughs> like, yeah, maybe it, like, is a short-term, ta- you know, I like, mean, like, maybe in some instances it does win some people over to your side and some, in like, whatever. But in the long term, if that's the strategy we're using to win people over to our side, like, we're not creating sustainable and healthy movements.
1: 100%. Here's a provocation. If instead of insulting Donald Trump on Twitter, all the leftists were like, <laughs> Donald Trump, you're usually so smart and good at business. Like, <laughs> <laughs> wh- how is this happening? Why did you make such an elementary mistake? Surely there must be... Can you please explain somehow? Like, if everyone just took that tack of, like, you're so, such a smart, cool guy. Like, why are you doing this? I don't get it. Concern trolling Trump.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is concern trolling a good tactic? <laughs> that's I don't a, know.
1: That's He's a, gonna, a legit question. Be right. Shot, right? You give him the potential to make himself guilty rather than trying to guilt... Instead of being, like, a an outside... I think everyone should all submit to the same bizarre tactic. I think that's what I care about most is we need to decide on one bizarre tactic and all do it. I was actually gonna suggest that.
0: Let's make it a Doomer v bloomer challenge. Pick a politician that particular or some Twitter figure that particularly grinds and concern your gears, and just concern troll them. You know, maybe make a separate account so they can't trace it back to your like left wing account. I, have to, I might yeah. I, I might get and, it on
2: Twitter now.
1: Yeah, and,
0: and, and report back. Like let us know how it went. I'll try it out too.
1: I've been following you for years and you're usually so fair-minded so i find it very bizarre that this is an incoherent like horrible <laughs> tweet. i don't get it Oh, Please man. clarify. Question I feel like it would fun. be
0: really hard for me to come off as sincere. I like actually pull it off as like I'm actually like a right wing Donald Trump supporter that's really disappointed. Or just a concerned and, citizen.
1: You just don't need right wing. a concerned person. Yeah, yeah I'm whatever. Neither left nor right, but forward. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be my Twitter
0: bio. On my <laughs> that's good. That's good. Yes.
3: I-, I felt like you had somewhere you wanted to take the conversation, friends, and then we kind of got. De-
0: oh, yeah. I mean, did we want to talk about. Ecology of tactics, um, diversity of tactics, The re- I think what we were a lot of what was being brought up when we were talking about our least favorite tactics is at least at first, most of us had a hard time pinpointing down like, well, what is a tactic that's always bad and kind of came back to, well, here's a tactic that's overused or here, here's a tactic that's misused. Um, you know, and I think I think we did identify some that are just maybe <laughs> altogether bad and shouldn't be used. But I, th- I think a vast majority of ta- or a, a, there's a wide range of tactics that are useful to varying degrees in different situations. Um, and Sean, you've brought up ecology of tactics a couple times. Do you want to take a shot at defining that maybe?
1: Yeah. Yeah, Ecology of Tactics would just be like a framework that encompasses multiple complementary tactics with towards a single singular goal. And also just sort of being aware of the way that certain tactics can rub up against each other and either contradict each other or complement each other and look for the sort of places where tactics are complementary and try to build a system based on the context of complementary tactics towards a single end. So it's not any set system... It's not any set pile of tactics that always work together but it's a way of looking at a goal or a, a, a strategy is being built up of a bunch of tactics that connect to one each other uh, uh, and and don't contradict each other um i think like don't at least don't contradict each other to the point of stopping function mm-hmm. like they can run a little bit uh against each other like i think you could say for example like electoral tactics um and grassroots um like very oppositional tactics run oppositional to each other in a sense, but also could be harmonized towards a shared goal. Uh Mm -hmm.
0: And I, yeah, so like ecology of tactics, it's kind of a play on the longer existing term diversity of tactics, which I think like, and I don't think it's in contradiction with it, but the complicated thing about diversity of tactics is like there's kind of the originally intended meaning and then Mm -hmm. how it's bastardized and weaponized to mean I can do whatever I want whenever I want. Because I, I think a key with you know my understanding of what a diversity of tactics should mean is that different tactics are more or less useful in different time space locations, and so you know oftentimes you need to separate these tactics by time and space in order for them to not come into conflict with each other. I think the added layer that using the ecology framework adds is don't just like look at. You know, try not to conflict tactics, but actually look at the ways in which tactics complement each other. And looking at it through, like, that complementary framework is actually really useful in deciding what tactics, like, should be used in any given circumstance.
1: We could also create a dog-eat-dog marketplace of tactics where people try to uh, defeat and undermine one one another for... um... For uh, whoever gets
3: f- uh,
5: the most retweets on the <laughs> survival of win. the fittest, right?
1: Is, is that not what we have now?
0: It, yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> isn't that like what Red Guards does? <laughs> like, I think leftists are pretty good at sabotaging each
4: we other. Saw how effective that
2: was, <laughs> right?
0: Yeah, and I do
5: actually just to speak to your point, I feel like the context there is the discourse around. Um, Uh, like black block using diversity of tactics uh, as a euphemism for specifically, usually one thing, which Mm -hmm. is like blocking up and engaging in property destruction when you're trying to organize in a coalition of people who don't want that to happen in their protests. I often feel like that specific discourse has like completely hijacked that phrase over Mm -hmm. the last couple of decades. And so it's made it really difficult to like actually talk about a true diversity of tactics, which is why I like the ecology of tactics because I feel like it kind of like draws it out and clarifies it a little Mm -hmm. bit more.
3: I think the thing that's a little tricky about it is just that, I mean, diversity of tactics is definitely a phrase that I associate with like big events where groups with competing agendas are sort of doing things on the same day ostensibly in the name of presenting a united front even though they don't really agree with each other uh and i mean at best i think it's possible for those groups to cooperate and to achieve something really extraordinary but it's challenging because they have different and potentially contradictory goals like my goal as an anarchist I mean, I'd actually just stay away from summit hopping generally. But if I were to be at a summit, I would have a very different reason for being there than a politician who wanted to get up there and make a speech and help their election campaign.
0: Will you define summit hopping?
3: So summit hopping is like an extension of it's like a critique of lifestyleism more broadly, where the idea is that like you go from summit to summit and you just like want to be where the action is. And mm-hmm. then you're, you travel around the rest of the time telling people oh it doesn't have to literally be a summit like you could have gone from like the g20 to standing rock to occupy oakland and it's like you're in the shit and you love telling yeah. people about how oh. you were in the shit and <laughs> smell this tear gas this this bandana i have still smells like pepper spray and it's like but a you're whole-
0: never in one place long enough to be part of like the months and of like background organizing and work and power mapping and decision making and organizing and movement building that actually created that summit but that
3: that doesn't mean that you can't influence it dramatically by pulling some dumb oogle shit and like putting yourself right in the middle of everything and getting arrested and putting a bunch of innocent people in danger. Right. (laughs) This is boring. I got to get back in the shit. (laughs) I'm tired of this
2: podcasting shit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh Oh, man, I'm going to go home and watch full metal jacket. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I had,
5: oh, sorry. I, I had a friend who was a summit hopper and who did have like a Sounds bandana like that was soaked in tear gas and he had this like theory for a while that like maybe he could like build up an immunity to tear gas. <laughs> he, would be, he would be like the superhero at the front of the line at every protest He was just like, this doesn't phase me at all. Oh, but then every time he opened the Ziploc bag, he would just <laughs> <laughs> destroy <laughs> his face for like an hour
1: it never worked speaking of bandanas he he couldn't beat tear gas I think like all leftism it didn't work because he didn't do it enough yeah Uh, he
2: should have kept with it he
4: did
0: make a more of a ritual about it like right. maybe once a year like on that occasion what about like a homeopathy
4: uh, oh, type dilute it. Yeah. yeah just dilute
3: it. yeah. it's like not even barely there <laughs> well but something that's kind of funny about summits as they pertain to strategy is that if you look at them it's a rare time that a lot of different left-wing groups not only from within a city from but from different cities like get together and do a joint action and it's like The best action is deeply rooted in communities and that it could not matter that much that people were coming from other cities if there were better intercity ties. But like often that's the only time you'll see people from other cities if there's like a summit. And so it kind of represents the superficiality of social ties on the left generally in a way.
5: Or also, like, what you were saying before about, like, the goal being a demonstration of power. It's like, even though you hate, like, so many of the tendencies that have all shown up, you're going (laughs) to use them to make you look bigger.
3: (laughs) Yeah, that's absolutely what I think is happening at a lot of those big tent protests in general.
1: If you're at one of these places, like, are you, where, where there's all these, like, influential people together, are you out there to convince those people that you have good ideas are you trying to draw attention to the fact that they're having such a conference with all these billionaires um like to, to, to what end are people getting together like uh strategically, what strategic end is it serving? Are you trying to interfere with the, bi- the day-to-day business of their billionaire conference? Right. Um
3: well, so, so personally, uh when George Bush came to Ottawa in two thousand five, <laughs> I met Naomi Klein and she gave me a hug, and that was like I <laughs> I, I met my goal Michina for that conference. That yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, wow. As I told her she was my hero, which she then was. That's good tactics. Uh,
0: are you, are you done? With yeah, this yeah, story? I could be done. Um, I'm just like that makes me think of the ways in which so much of organizing can become like a social scene. I'm not trying to like prescribe that onto like the story you just told, but no, it made no, no, me think of yeah. like <laughs> like how many times has has someone gone to an you know an action or a protest just because they know that their friends are also gonna be there? And on one hand, you know that that could be a critique of the left and saying like, oh, like we should be doing things because they have purpose and are gonna help us reach our goals, not just because they're like fun or a social event but on the other hand we can also harness that to recognize that like Humans are social beings, and we enjoy seeing like people that you know add positively to our life, and we like creating social connections and communities. Absolutely and if we not. Can use only
1: them- the <laughs> only the truly committed revolutionaries are allowed at the protest. You need to have like, a very With small no friends of- <laughs> no,
5: prove that you're a true revolutionary by having no friends. No, the goal is the friends we made along the way.
3: But yeah, au contraire, the best people at protests are if you've been broke for a while and you smoke. Going to a protest is a guaranteed way to bum cigarettes. Yeah. Someone someone is going to give you a cigarette at that protest. Now we're talking
5: about a whole other level of tactics.
3: And and that is mutual aid, a factor in evolution. Yeah, are life hacks, right? (laughs) (laughs) Our life hacks just tactics for your life? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. it's good shit. But I think seriously, Sean, the answer to your question is kind of that overall... I think what's perpetuated this summit culture is that in Seattle, there was such a success in shutting down the summit that for those first mobilizations after it, I think that people were hoping to reproduce that, that they thought that they could, like, stop these summits from happening altogether, which itself, like, a little bit naive about the way that international diplomacy works, that if you can just, like, stop them from having a photo op, they won't sign the treaty. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like They'll probably find a way around that. And mm-hmm. they did in Toronto that like almost all of the G20 took place in Huntsville, which is in the middle of nowhere. And they do that more and more now. They have the summits just somewhere that it would be difficult for people to get. Yeah,
5: I remember after the WTO summit, the next WTO uh, gathering was on a cruise ship off of the coast of <sighs> Qatar, where protesting is illegal. <laughs> so. Wow. And they were on a cruise ship. <laughs>
2: God, I would have loved to meet the protest in, that <laughs> way, like, in a fucking raft boat. But it really goes
5: to show that like one tactic for one protest is not going to be carbon copied and taken to the next protest. And you really do need to ask yourself those questions every time. Like, what are we doing here? Are we mm. reaching? Are we looking out? Are we lo- looking in? Are we trying to block a meeting from happening? Are we
2: doing the ritual? To are get we the trying to cancel a
0: contract? Like, I-, I think so often it's like I-, I see this play out a lot. Is there's a strong desire to not let things happen uncontested, whether it's, you know, government action, right wing activity, like yeah. any, any, you know, negative happenings that the left sh- like is and should be opposed to. Like, it's hard to say this is happening. We don't have the tools to address it. And sometimes you just don't have the tools to address it or you haven't ex- fully explored the potential tools in your toolkit. Like, that's ultimately what tactics are, is there different tools in your toolkit? And if you only have a hammer and the hammer is, you know, having a big protest march, then all you're ever going to use is the hammer to hit, you know, but not every, not every target's a nail. <laughs> right, absolutely.
3: I, I, I think that's really symptomatic of the left as a whole, that, like, often what's happening is that people are trying to make snap mobilizations to deal with global structural problems because <laughs> there hasn't been the kind of necessary institution building that would mm-hmm. let those things be tackled. We're at a point where it's just, like, a question as simple as, What is a public meeting space that left wing organizations can have their meeting in that's like free and accessible is a serious barrier to organizing for left wing groups in a lot of places in North America. And it's like the idea that people with a problem at that level think that Mm -hmm. they can tackle the problem of global capitalism by showing (laughs) up with some fucking puppets. <laughs> it's okay, like a little the silly.
5: Puppets, the puppets
0: shaming is I'll really.
3: I'll die on this hill. <laughs> of, that's
0: that's a, control. Sounded very Doomer.
2: Like,
1: <laughs> I'll be, I'll be right We're there never with you. Win. <laughs> Fighting <laughs> alongside you. <laughs> uh, there's two wolves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And we are the wolves. <laughs> the real bloomer position is that the puppets will work. <laughs> no. The, <laughs> being, a, being a bloomer is yes,
0: not no. about naive optimism that everything will work out fine no matter how we do it. It's all about recognizing that there is a power out of this. There is a path towards utopia and we have, you know, it's...
2: Puppets might be the a part path of might not be, might be a part of the project. Puppets
0: may or may not be a part of that path, <laughs> but we have to have a strategic analysis to determine when and where and in what context puppets are useful. Right.
3: Are there children? Yes, puppets.
5: Yes. <laughs> I, yeah, actually, I was going to say on the subject of an ecology of tactics, I mean, a protest is a perfect example of where you can have an ecology of tactics. And yeah, if you want families to show mm. up at your protest, yeah, you should have some fucking puppets or some music or toys or face painting or whatever. Some fun. Um, something that I just popped into my head uh, a while back when I was visiting Ottawa and I ended up in a squat, there was a, a series of protests that were happening. There was a G8 summit, but then there was also, the Pope was coming to Ottawa that week. And so there was a oh, big shit. protest against the Pope and somebody <laughs> made this adorable little, sorry, just to like uh, evangelize about comics for a second. Somebody <laughs> made this like little protest comic being like why are people protesting against the pope and it was this adorable little cute angel and it was like narrating this comic zine about like all of the reactionary positions of the catholic church and uh-huh. like maybe why that's that's why people are in the streets like you know that could be a legitimately confusing thing if somebody sees that they don't understand the media is not reporting it responsibly like that seemed like a good use of somebody's time that seemed like a really good tactic
3: You've mentioned face painting and I don't want to lose sight of this story. (laughs) (laughs) This, This is like weirdly a really good tactic. i'll be a bloomer this time are you gonna talk about
5: how insane clown posse paint uh protects us from facial recognition software whoop whoop clown
3: Clown blot no seriously though uh a number of years ago the toronto iww was organizing against porter airlines which is a little airline that flies out of downtown toronto because they were treating their workers really badly and people were like getting seriously injured because they were being triple booked for shifts if i remember right Wow. And, yeah, it was fucking nuts. And the conditions were really bad. And the workers had like called in IWW to support them, even though I think they had a union or were unionizing with someone else. And there was this one action where the base, the base action was a barbecue. And at the barbecue, there was face painting. And my friend, who's like a six foot six punk with a blue dread mullet, got their face <laughs> uh, painted like a raccoon, which is the Porter mascot. But then later, after a useless speech by a union bureaucrat who was like, let's take the fight to them, and then he got on a bus and rode away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we did take the fight because the, pick, the barbecue was outside of the ferry terminal to get to the airport. So we, like, went into the terminal, and the cops were lined up all around it, but the workers were with us, and they knew a back way in. So we just went all the way around the cops, and we, like, shoved our way into the terminal and, like, Even shot it down a for a little... Even
5: tall face-painted punk? Well, so I was going to say that this, like, this
3: culminated in me, like, pushing against the line of the police and watching a six-foot-six punk with a face painted like a raccoon (laughs) punch a cop in the head. And I I was like... god what a lovely image (laughs) it was like a truly beautiful moment uh and i just think that like a lot of those things in other contexts i might really poo poo like a barbecue or face painting but because of the way it brought the community together and a lot of people were there and they both signposted their militancy appropriately so that there weren't like kids at that part of the action but they also like brought in a big crowd and the big crowd gave them some protection until the action started i think it was really well executed And it Mm. shows how even kind of cutesy and novel tactics can be really effective.
0: Yeah. uh, To bring back something I mentioned at the near the beginning of the episode is like the mobilizations against like right wing activity in Portland. Like that's been a big tactic, especially, you know, during the summertime is like having like anarchists giving away free ice cream and like Mm. hanging out in the park and creating just like in general, like anti-fascist social space that you know, then you know, mobilizes mass amounts of people. So some small portion of those people can take riskier actions that may you know potentially be more effective. <laughs> and like I think that you know is a really good example of like an ecology of tactics and ranging like militancy like can be important and can be useful and isn't all encompassing. And you know the like cutesy above board like we're not going to harm anyone <laughs> sort of tactic is is useful for bringing people in but isn't oftentimes sufficient at achieving goals. Um, and so, being able to like find a way to to merge the two in that really seamless way, like mm-hmm. when you can pull it off, is really awesome.
3: Chef <laughs> kiss, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
2: Oops, sorry, hit the table. But, I've uh, actu- oh, sorry. Go ahead. ahead.
0: No,
5: go ahead. Uh, oh, I was just gonna say, I've actually just recently seen that tactic um, deployed by like crypto fascists in Canada. Um, there's a group in Ottawa, well, across Canada called Soldiers of Odin, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Recently in Ottawa, they've started just like passing out um, like hot dogs on like hot days and stuff like that, and just mm. like you know being out in the community. And it's noth- nothing, nothing. Uh, l- there's nothing like that that just makes me feel like man, the left is like really shitting the bed
0: because like we should we should be we out should
5: there be doing the ones that doing that because um, we actually
0: care about feeding people. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 absolutely. Here in Olympia as well, like the Three Percenters, which is like a, a constitutionalist militia group. <laughs> Um, like the, the local chapter, most of what they do is like, they participate in crazy faith, which is just like a houseless feed that happens, you know, hmm. semi-frequently, like, you know, a vast majority of what their organization does is just feed people who need to be fed. Hmm. Um, and you know, it's, it's really Insidious because it, you know, their ends are are clearly, you know, so reactionary and so against the actually like the best interests of most of those people, and yet they're like, you know, gaining legitimacy or see- coming off as more approachable or, yeah, you know, I, you know, I don't, I don't know entirely what their goals are there but it mm-hmm. it's shady shit and i don't like it mm-hmm.
3: <laughs> well it's something that like the mob does too and like ele- evil electoral machines like tammany hall in 19th century new york would like make sure you go to hey, turkey oh, at thanksgiving yeah. <laughs> yeah but i mean to give an example of the left doing this badly in ottawa there was a food not bombs, great uh and we were having a banner painting party great not always something people remember to do but the beautifully painted banner that came out of this party said taste the waste <laughs> Because <laughs> it was dumpster. Yeah, because it's yeah. like dumpster yeah. food. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I get it. And it's just like, yes, that's clever. But also, if you don't already know about food not bombs and dumpstering, no one, no one's gonna come to this. Right. <laughs>
0: Not an appeal. Oh, that was sign. the name of the event they were
3: trying to. What the, was the I, banner? So it's like, just imagine you're walking through a park and there's some smiling taste. punks with a big banner that says "Taste the Waste." Like, oh, come I'm trying to, I eat try to feed yeah. <laughs> something? Yeah, eat this come waste. Taste this waste. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, like, uh. Sure,
2: rhymes are great, but at what cost? Yeah, at what <laughs> <end>? cost? Yeah. <laughs> See, there again, that's when you have to weigh the tactic. Is it worth yeah. is, is it worth <laughs> employing <laughs> the rhyming tactic yeah. in this moment? Uh, that was not. just
5: an instance where somebody had an idea that they just did not want to let go of. And I do feel like that happens in a lot of organizing contexts. It's like one person, they've got that idea and they just really want to run with it. They don't care if it's a good one or if you like it, they just, just get out of their way. Yep, they got it in their head.
3: Well, not to invoke Mao's combat liberalism of all (laughs) things, but, like, it is a real thing that has nothing to do with liberalism, that, like, people want to be nice and organizing and, like, not call out their friends and be like, I love you, buddy, but that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard (laughs) about, about, like, the banner or whatever it is. It doesn't need to be like that, but it's okay to just be like, I don't think that this would be a very good idea, and I, like, feel really strongly that it wouldn't, because even though you can't see it, I think most people will see that this is off-putting. Mm-hmm. And that's something I think we struggle with because our groups are as much our social networks as they are our like activist vehicles, and it's hard to like provoke a confrontation like that
0: and mm. so time so much of the time we're just not in the habit of thinking through the strategic implications of our strategy or of our tactics or of our, our individual the, actions
4: that's
2: a big problem
0: like I think just like as organizations as individuals as a movement, we have to just you know be better about thinking about that kind of stuff we have to be in the habit of doing that that should always be the first question like the fact that power mapping is like so useful yet so underutilized like that should be the first thing you do when like when you have any new campaign or any new goal that you're trying to accomplish Mm -hmm. um and it's just like so underutilized Mm -hmm. because i think People are so caught up in, you know, in repeating these, the photocopy of the photocopy of tactics they think they're supposed to be doing rather than thinking through like what their long term goals are. Mm. (laughs) Other than power mapping, does anyone have any particular tactics that they really like that they think are underutilized?
3: Well, yeah, because we picked our our, our, our least <laughs> right. one. Let's it's so much easier.
0: It's all so much easier to talk shit. C-
3: can we do mm. another go around? But you have to start this time, friends. Oh, I yeah. see.
0: I posed the question, so I wouldn't have to <laughs> say it. Um, you got one. Um, I'll go with. I might think of something better and come back. But the one I'll throw out now is. I think. Um, we, we've talked a lot about building sustainable movements and building healthy organizations. And so much of what goes into that is just sort of background, like administrative work and welcoming work of, you know, of maintaining an you know, email that is responded to like maintaining a membership list, like welcoming in new members when that happens. And overall just kind of like paying attention to the long-term health of an organization, mm. like I don't know if that's a tactic, but it's somewhere to put your energy towards that isn't necessarily like, you know, the exciting, flashy, sexy tactics that people want to do. Um, And in the long run, helps your organization be able to take on more and be more effective. So that's what I'll go with. Mm. It's my favorite underutilized tactic is caring about organizational health and putting energy Mm. towards maintaining it. Mm. That's
1: great. It's a good tactic. Mm -hmm. Evergreen. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Sean, um, yeah, favorite tactic. No, I think a, or a tacti- fa-
0: not necessarily favorite, but something you like that is underutilized.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if it's underutilized, but I think it's slept on. And I'm gonna, I'm just gonna be a pretty little provocative. I think it's slept on the, um, the 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 broadly narrative work. I think is is slept on. Like people people yeah. underestimate the importance of narrative work the importance of like having that little pamphlet that explains why the Pope is bad in an accessible way. It's like really, really important. Um, But also I think in particular, um, in particular the narrative function of electoral campaigns is underrated because we have this great, uh, we have this like broad, um, you know like society made up of people we live in a society yeah you know like all these people in society aren't smarter and better than electoral politics even if you are so they all pay (laughs) really really close attention to it and it's a time when people are politically active and thinking through the issues and i think if you look inside your heart you could probably admit that the bernie sanders 2016 (laughs) campaign is the most effective like narrative um event of our lifetime and Mm. it did a lot to push people towards left-wing politics and connect them to non-electoral organizing in the interim since then um and i think that's slept on i'm not saying it's underdone because i think it's done just the right amount but you think it's
0: over criticized i
1: think it's over criticized and i think people like i think there's this particular like cultural fixation and i don't know if it's specific to the american left or what where people are like antagonistic to the idea of paying attention to where power organizes mm. um and there's this very nihilistic view on anything where power is structured um and it, it's it's also sort of like an identity thing like not not identity in like the intersectional sense but identity in the sense of i identify as a non-electoral or anti-electoral right. person and like obviously there's like really good critiques there and and uh, but at the same time i just think that it's like um it's it's uh, it sometimes becomes a signal without data
0: I mm. my biggest critique of electoral politics like used as a narrative strategy to build a particular narrative is I think yes like they can it can be incredibly effective and I think the amount of people we've seen radicalized towards the left by a Bernie Sanders campaign is like not ins- is incredibly significant um but we've seen a mass radicalization due to Bernie being unsuccessful in the electoral realm by and large. Mm. And I think we have to ask the serious question of if Bernie Sanders was elected and because of the structural constraints he's operating within as like a sitting United States president, um, like he is not going to be able to deliver us all of the gains we want. And it's very likely is going to be, you know, completely gridlocked by, you know, a Congress that doesn't support any of the legislation he wants to be put through. And at most he's going to, you know, have some nominal gains and people are going to be more or less demoralized by the fact that, you know, this grassroots movement was built that, you know, towards a like what I think is a fundamentally unwinning strategy of trying to change power relations from within, you know, these existing um, power structures.
3: I just I want to add to that just that I think Sean's really stealing valor from the Occupy movement on behalf of Bernie Sanders and <laughs> saying that Bernie Sanders is totally responsible for this stuff like I think that Bernie built on the momentum of Occupy and it opened up a space for him that you know he wasn't taking advantage of for the previous 20 years he was kicking around and I think that it's true that because Occupy opened up that space there was then space for Bernie and I would never pretend that because you know I personally met lots of Bernie people who are like Or now they're anarchists. Like I was a Bernie person, and I was like, on second thought, this is obviously whack. Now that I've like done five minutes of cursory reading,
5: but but there there definitely is a phenomena of people disagreeing with the electoral process is not the same thing as making it disappear. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, and I do think that there's like there's something to be said there, even if you are an anarchist, you should perhaps be following what's happening in the electoral campaign in order to be able to tie it to the policy work Mm -hmm. or advocacy work that you're involved in
3: any news on the satellite caucuses (laughs) (laughs) Sean
0: has been following that last 3% all day as we're recording that we're still waiting for 3% of the Iowa caucus results to come in
1: Mm-hmm. I'm not cheering for Bernie I'm cheering for us <laughs> thank you hashtag thank not you. me us <laughs> uh, but just to jump back to it you, what you were saying about like oh I used to be Bernie now I'm anarchist because I did five minutes of cursory reading what <laughs> five minutes of reading is that I tell you what it is it's fucking empty signals from anonymous strangers I read all these empty signals and I got really self-conscious I couldn't defend the position of voting in elections and supporting Bernie Sanders so then I just like yeah anyways I'm mean, <laughs> super cynical no, about it but for real that's a real problem
0: nuanced message a hot take is that you know you can be an anarchist you can be critical of the institution of elections and not think that fundamental change can occur that way but also like as Nicole said it doesn't make any sense to ignore them and there is like Potential benefit from strategically engaging with these electoral. Let's campaigns. deploy
5: uh, reverse uh, Zizek tactics here, <laughs> because uh. Bernie recruited from Occupy, so uh, from the disillusionment of the dis- the disillusion of Occupy. So let's recruit from the disillusionment of Bernie. Yeah.
0: Sure.
3: You know what though, Nicole actually tried this on our Twitter account after the 2016 election, and far more people who had been burners in the lead up to 2016 turned into Nazis than Ooh. turned into anarchists. Yikes. Uh, That that hasn't been my IRL experience at all. Where did that data come from? (laughs) That's pure bullshit. No, I'm just saying in the people Nicole followed on Twitter who were supporting Bernie... And then he lost the nomination because Nicole's like going through the pro-Bernie tweets, following everyone. You're selling our state secrets.
5: <laughs> yeah, well, it's, whatever. Our social I don't media I, strategy.
3: I, <laughs> but no, seriously. So I not I, didn't I, don't I didn't.
5: I didn't see that. I didn't personally see that. I saw like a couple of accounts that did go reactionary. But like, I do feel like Bernie was um, appealing to a category of people that otherwise wouldn't have voted Democrat. I
3: should, mm-hmm. I, I should also be clear that like far more Bernie people just became Warren supporters then became anarchists or nazis and like the number Mm. of people who became nazis is relatively small but just specifically more people radicalized Uh, into nazis than anarchists
0: a relatively few number of bernie supporters were radicalized into anarchists but a not insignificant proportion of current anarchists were radicalized by the bernie sanders campaign or in part by the bernie sanders campaign yeah and that's you know you know the uh, you know The anarchist left is minuscule. It's tiny and it's insignificant, you know, on the grand scale of things, like as it currently exists. So, like, you know, any gains in size, you know, we should take. (laughs) Mm
5: -hmm. Are there any doomers for Bernie out there?
2: Well, shit. Right. (laughs) 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 Call Call me me a bastard. I I mean, I just. so that was a big lesson that I learned from the 2016 because I the election because I was very much like ah, f- sh- fuck f- f- like right. problems. I'm fucking in I've seen the kind con- of consequences of that kind of attitude yeah and uh, it sucked and I, uh, yeah I definitely came around and uh, like. I was saying it to someone else. It's like it's like the world. I think I was saying the last night. I it was like the World Cup. You know, it's like you may as well just may as well pay attention when it's happening you know, it's really, <laughs> in the big news. I mean, it's a little bit different than the World Cup, and then riot bit. when it doesn't go your way. Exactly, yeah. they're yeah. bringing it back around. Yep. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I I I really do think that he, like um, like a Bernie Sanders presidency is. Uh, <laughs> Like as far as like any of the candidates, Republican or Democrat aside, or in between, that's like a uh, probably the best bet as far as like what we can choose. Like you know, I I haven't looked at any of the weird like, people always tell you to vote for the the uh, what is it? The, is it the PSL? Like oh other, yeah. no, don't vote for the PSL. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, or so or whatever it is. I'm um, just like okay, I'll do that if they rob uh, Bernie. Of the of the nomination, I don't fucking do that because I'm, I'm not going to vote for.
0: And we live in a blue state, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter.
2: Yeah. Uh,
3: but what's your preferred tactic, Connie?
2: As far as uh, hey, yeah, oh so, so oh, really oh, oh my best oh um so, yeah, like it, it's it's simple, and uh, I'm not but a simple person, uh, dude. I'm telling, feeding people is the shit, man. That's it. Mm-hmm. Like just giving people fucking food and sustenance, like. Like even recently, like the Suns, mm. oh, just giving hot dogs, out, you know. Right, right, right. Yeah. Just feeding people. I, that's always mm-hmm. been, and it, it's it's great for fucking everybody, dude. You feel good as a person right. giving out the food. The people generally, you know, feel good. And just, you know, anyone, you know, houseless people, whoever. whoever, And, you know, I. so like potlucks or, uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I'm, my problem is I'm always, and I think it's a problem with a lot of, Lefty people that have been like online for a long time, and they got burnt out like on like maybe past experiences, with maybe occupying stuff, and so they're you kind of you you tend to get introverted, you know, and mm-hmm. you don't want to fucking go out and do the shit anymore. Um, but it always but like feeding people, like even like last night when we were like you know it was man of the grill or whatever, it, like it, feel, <laughs> it, it feels nice, dude. It just it's nice to fucking and. So, and I don't know how much of it is, like, a tactic or whatever. I mean, you, you would it, have to apply it in certain ways, like... But, I mean... I
0: mean, it could be a tool of community building, of movement building, like, right. going back totally. you know, to the yeah. Black Panthers, so yeah. the people programs, which we've talked about before yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, right. and on I, the podcast. Like, that, you know, is is one tactic and a broader strategy of of of, of base building, essentially.
2: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And I think that was... Imp- like, when I was uh, doing stuff... So, that... And I also... Like, I like... Uh, like focusing on like uh like building liaisons with other groups too. Mm. That was like a mm-hmm. like a work that I have tried to do in the past with like other organizations stuff in it and that's also really uh, like enriching too. It's like mm. feeling like yourself building these uh connections and these networks and that cuz then you really get a sense of like it's growing, you know. Uh which again, you have to kind of balance and make sure you're not like like you're just like we the people won this day that day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like all right, well, like, but it's cool that we're yeah. So getting different groups, I don't know if that's a tactic too, but it's like coalition building, building, networking, and then, yeah, and then a good way to do that is like feeding people. Mm -hmm. So I guess that would be my
3: answer. I think I would actually probably have gone for that if it hadn't just been taken, (laughs) but sorry. well, I'll, I'll
2: change mine. Fighting the police. <laughs> <laughs> Throwing bricks at cops. No.
3: And then you can say it. Well, but seriously, I think uh, generally meeting people's material needs is a good one that the old-timey left paid a lot of attention to mm. that I think we maybe don't... Things cost more, question mark. I don't totally know. I don't want to try and unpack why the new, the, the left currently isn't as good at thinking about people's material needs as it is at like broadcasting its messaging and how it's become kind of McLuhanian and its fixation on messaging but I the other thing that I would say is the, kind of related to that which is community building and like that's a little loose and one aspect i want to highlight that i think is beginning to happen but could happen more is like getting up in people's weirdo fucking hobbies and making them political and sometimes <laughs> those hobbies are already political like i think about the work that redneck revolt does where they go to gun shows and they table and like there's already a politics at gun shows but until redneck revolt started showing up at them there was no radical politics yeah. like radical wing politics at gun shows and I think that there's like a real effort to kind of engage in the whole hobby and not just kind of appear there like sort of Phantom Trotsky flapping newspapers like they mm-hmm. could be anywhere. They like look like they belong there because they like are from that community themselves and whether you're doing like Dungeons and Dragons or roller derby or I don't really care what Is that what.
0: entryism? Like can you describe <laughs> that as like, in yeah. like yeah. you know bringing politicized people into a non-politicized or otherly politicized place in order to insert your values and politics into it?
3: Well so I think for it to be entryism in a classical sense you need to be trying to take control of the organization mm. which is why anarchists can't really practice <laughs> entryism because they can't see, they, they shouldn't at least if they're being good anarchists seize the leadership positions in an organization. But I, I think
0: actually a friend of mine um, and I coined the term reverse entryism which is where you enter an organization in order to convince people to leave that organization and join yours instead. <laughs> oh,
3: so, so, like, <laughs> so you
0: already are in control of your organization you're just kind of trying to drain membership <laughs> off. So, so maybe that's kind of similar to that. Exodism?
3: So, like LSC. <laughs> <laughs> but like no I'm thinking more of like Organizations that are political, and you're not necessarily trying to turn them into instruments of your own politics but they're just like a place for you to have conversations with ordinary Mm -hmm. people and to be like a little more deliberate about that platformists sometimes disgustingly call this social insertion (laughs) which is like let's just call it like social
0: penetration (laughs) not not
3: a good enough reason (laughs) to use the word penetration not not better yeah
0: (laughs) I I thought it was better because of how much worse it was
3: (laughs) (laughs) well it has that yeah but I think that, like, it, it's more just a thing of, like, these are people that you know and, like, maybe you do some mildly political thing through your D&D group or through the of Derby League. But if you do, it's probably more like the kind of stuff that Connie's talking about, like mm. uh, mutual aid stuff, feeding people, like, maybe somebody loses a job and you know them socially and you help them find a new job in your union shop or you, like, help them get hired somewhere that you're salting or whatever.
2: It, those are all things that uh, I've, I've been the recipient of as well, like, recently, and it's, like, made, it. I know I'm doomer or whatever, but it's like it's it it makes you feel like you're, you're a part of something, you know. Right? I,
3: don't, I don't think you're a doomer at all,
2: man. Yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I mean, I gotta, listen, we're gonna l- get to l- you. L- listen, it's in the name, all right. So, <laughs> <laughs> and this motherfucker is is insufferably bloomer, so I have to be the. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't know.
0: I, you heard me go off on how the anarchist left is minuscule and insignificant. Is that really a Are we flipping? Are
3: we, are we flipping this <laughs> Ooh, Oh, I like yeah. that.
5: Bizarro <laughs> episode. Jesus yeah. Christ. Well, and,
3: oh, yeah. I wanted to pull this in at some point, although Nicole still needs to do her good tactic and talk about what about uh, conceiving of positioning yourself culturally as a tactic and like being like, I'm a doomer or I'm a bloomer. Those things that are ultimately kind of tactical moves that are part of a larger strategy, cultural communication. Mm. So maybe we can touch on that after Nicole's thing, if there's time.
5: I was actually just going to add to your point about how I think it's really important from a personal perspective, but, like, also the personalist political, to, like, always have time in your life where you, as a political person, are the minority in the room, um, just as a means of, like, keeping in touch somewhat with, like, the way that other people are and, like... Sometimes like the disappointing, but also like the really inspiring ways that people can be when they're um, not in in our in our in our spaces. Um, gosh, okay. I uh, in terms of tactics, I think my favorite tactic is when scholars give me money <laughs> to make political comic books. That's
2: good tactic. Yeah, I almost it's, picked that. That's one.
5: actually the superior <laughs> tactic. It's the objectively. The best tactic for social movements all of right. all time. Mm-hmm. All but time. It
3: doesn't have to be us. You could give money to podcasts. Too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we, we have a Patreon. Yeah, oh no, I'm <laughs> totally not
5: trying to like uh, uh, get into the to the Patreon. Uh, unless. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I
0: think we are just about to wrap up. Um, Hugh, you mentioned this sort of. Um, you know persona. I think that definitely has to do with like narrative building that fits into the larger like strategy of how do we build the na- like narratives of who we are and what we're doing. Mm. Um, and so I think it can be important for that reason.
1: <clears throat> oh yeah, I I kind of want to change my answer for favorite tactic to the 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 tactic of getting a bunch of people together, um, getting them really drunk, getting them worked up, and then sticking them <laughs> on some sort of building <laughs> or place. <Yeah. laughs> Um, (laughs) like if that's what they used to do it makes perfect sense I've never seen people do that and I think we should try to bring it I think we should try to bring that shit back 2020 you were saying that yeah let's too. wrap this up let's uh, go yeah. get a couple beers Yeah, was saying
5: up. that she was <laughs> talking about like unleashing angry drunk like sports people <laughs> jo- jocks like a jar of bees yeah or, <laughs> on a bank oh, and, or something and, and hopefully
0: we can radicalize them too so we're not just like using Absolutely. them as like a human tool but you know bringing them into
3: it's like
2: have bees you know once they them. sting they die so. oh yeah. No, yeah. No, yeah. no no Why? no no
3: <laughs> I should just add to this that although it started out as an anti-Catholic thing, it became an electoral strategy since there was open polling and, like, you would announce your vote out loud in Britain and Canada, and so the local rich guy would, like, get a bunch of yobs drunk and bring them to the election to beat up anyone who voted the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> they used to call it the manly art of voting. The manly art Good old-fashioned
5: electoralism. Yeah. <laughs> Who's ready to vote? Yeah. <laughs> Bernie 2020, y'all. Oh. Um...
0: <laughs> But yeah, speaking of um, putting your money in good places as a tactic, um, as was mentioned, Doomer v. Bloomer is on Patreon at patreon.com slash Doomer v. Bloomer. If you can't support us or don't want to support us for some weird reason monetarily, you can also support us by following us on Twitter, liking us on Facebook, Doomer v. Bloomer, on both of those. We also have a Facebook group, Doomer v. Bloomer Commune, to talk shit about commune. It's a pretty <laughs> pop-in group. If you're not in there, you're missing out. I love it. Um, I embrace it. I feel embrace free it. to rate us on iTunes. That always gives us like a little like um, you know boost in our self-esteem that keeps us going. <laughs> um, and you can subscribe to this podcast like basically anywhere you find podcasts: iTunes, Google. So however you listen to this now, um, or however you prefer to listen to podcasts, find us there. Um, do y'all have anything you want to plug? <laughs> uh,
2: yeah. Yeah, you want to you want to plug your seriously <laughs> you wanna, you wrong wanna, podcast wanna, on, <laughs> on our <laughs> You want to
0: plug your your way more popular podcast on our podcast. We could
1: probably keep bringing you in a couple more viewers. Yeah. Yeah, if you haven't checked it out, I've got a show called Seriously Wrong at seriouslywrong.com. Uh we talk about these issues and others. We also, uh, you know, have a Discord and stuff too. Yeah.
5: Yeah. <laughs> um I've got a book coming out March 9th uh, called Enemy Alien. It's a graphic history of Canada's uh, World War I internment of Ukrainians and Eastern Europeans. Um, so similar to the Japanese internment camp system of World War II, World War I, this happened in Canada... Thousands of people were locked up and uh, basically enslaved in forced labor camps for several years. Uh, The graphic uh, novel is the work of Cass Lechuk, who is a historian who uncovered um, a journal of a Ukrainian man who uh, was interned for several years and then became a socialist uh, and wrote about it. Uh, So that's coming out March 9th through Between the Lines books. And otherwise you can check us out through ad Astro comics on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or ad I
3: just want to take this opportunity to plug my favorite podcast. Seriously wrong <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. on this, my new equally favorite podcast. Because like best friends, I'm promiscuous and won't just pick one. <laughs> Aww.
0: Aww. Very well, nice. Thank you Warm, very much. Very fuzzy feeling. <laughs> <laughs> feeling good about this one, y'all. Thank yeah. you so
4: much for coming on the podcast. Thanks so much for yeah. having yeah. us. Like always, fuck you.